get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This is the Character and Smallman podcast, powered by I Promise. Now here's Character and Smallman. Smallman on 101 ESPN at 7 o'clock. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers. Guess what day it is? Huh? Hump day! Michelle Smallman, good morning. It's hump day. Good morning, Randy. It is, in fact, hump day. And everybody in St. Louis is kind of happy that Why? it's hump day. Why? Because we're closer to the weekend, not because and of the we're Cardinals. closer to the end of the season. Oh, <laughs> one day closer to it all being over. <laughs> Counting it down. Are we there yet? Is that is that where our mental state is it right is now? It is not great after an 8-2 loss to the Tigers. I can take an 8-2 loss to the Cubs. I can take an 8-2 loss to the Dodgers. I can take an 8-2 loss to the Padres, even the Mets. Yeah. An 8-2 loss to the Tigers, not so much. I'd even take it to the Reds. Yeah, right. But not Detroit. No. Last night was just bad. Scoreless game, fourth inning. Johan Oviedo gets the first out on a Miguel Cabrera fly out to center, and then Akil Badu. By the way, doesn't that sound like a character from SpongeBob SquarePants? Badu! <laughs> I didn't think of it that way, but yeah. Text in 65780. I don't know where that character is from. Maybe it's... Is, where is Badu? There's got to be a Badu in the char- the character, in the animated character world. I'm sure there is, yeah. But, so Badu singles to... Emily, you got an idea for it? It makes me sound... It makes me think of Baloo from uh, oh, Jungle Book. Oh, that might call, be. Good call, Emily. That yes, might it does. Be it. Yes. So Badu singles to right, moves up on a wild pitch by Johan Oviedo. So you've got a runner at second, you've got Nomar Mazzara at the plate, and you've got one out, and things kind of unraveled. 2-0, broken bat right back to the pitcher. Oh, and he threw it away! Badu's going to score! Mazzara to second. Go to third. Maybe to third. He will dig for third. The throw is offline, and he's in there with a head-first slide. Oviedo had the right idea. The ball sharply hit to him, and he knows that he has Badu trapped at third base, but he rushes his throw. You see Arenado is moving towards third base, and he just airmailed it. Not even close. Arenado didn't even make a attempt because he knew Badu scores easily. And then Mazzara, looking as he's rounding second, hey, I got a chance for three here, and he makes it. You've got it out. Just get the get the runner, get the hitter. If you've got the runner at third, there's not going to be a sacrifice fly. If you throw another wild pitch, yeah, you got a problem. Get the runner at first and get the second out. Then you have a runner at third with two outs. Just get the third out. Yeah, it seems like the easy option would have been to go to first. And I, I understand the idea of going to third, but if you don't think that you can execute it, I know it's a split-second decision, but clearly it was a tougher play. He was trying to get him on Arenado on the run, and it just did not, it did not work out, and things unraveled from there. 
it was really bad. You had uh, both Castros walk. You had Tyler Rogers wind up getting a double to score a couple, and then a three-run homer for the Tigers by Jonathan Scope. Six-nothing and ball game at that point. So, Johan, what happened after that throw? What caused you to fall apart? Um, you know, after that bad throw, um, you know, things went a little bit um, fast uh, for for a couple seconds. Um, you know, but then I got it back um, to I, I threw it two strikes um, against the catcher and then hang a, a slider around the middle. Uh, you know, that was when they really uh, things were a little bit out of control. And Mike Schilt saw everything just unfolding before his eyes. A lot of damage untimely, clearly. Um, good play, good recognition. Um, I hadn't had a chance. I was going to look at the video room. Um, I got caught up doing something else about um, tough play because no one off the line, obviously, and he's got to hit him on the run, but the right idea. Um, and then, you know, once he gets down the line, of course, we got the left fielder playing over with the with the lefty, and so he's able to get to third. So, um, you know, big play that, that cracked open a big inning. Just get the second out. Come yeah. on. And it's, hey, Johan Oviedo by all right should be pitching at Memphis. Lars Newtbar should be playing at Memphis. Uh, I don't know if Daniel Ponce de Leon, who's hurt now, should be in the major leagues. Cardinals have five, six players that should not be in the major leagues that are playing for them. And you're going to lose games, as we were told by Dan Dickerson yesterday. The Tigers have been pretty good for their last 40 games. They're over 500 for their last 40 games. And the Cardinals obviously under 500, and they just aren't, they don't have the talent of and aren't performing like a major league team. No, and for someone like Oviedo, a lot of these guys, you're putting expectations on them that that might not need to be there. Does that make sense? Like, yep. yes, they've got promoted. Yes, this is their job. Yes, they're professionals. But in a lot of other scenarios, they wouldn't be here. And they would be developing their skills and getting ready to come up here. Cardinals were the only NL Central team to not win last night. So the Cubs now have a four and a half game lead over the Cardinals. Cubs beat the Indians. Brewers lead the Cardinals by four and a half as well. Reds have a half game lead over the Cardinals and the Pirates 13 and a half back. So the Cardinals need to get a win in the noon game today. Good luck to them. Is that where we are? Good luck to them. Against Detroit. Against Detroit. I can't remember a time, Randy, where my perception of a team has changed so quickly. This is a matter of weeks where we went from this is a team that's going to win the division. We hope Mo is aggressive at the deadline because in years past he hasn't been. And this team's going to need some help so that they can get into the playoffs and really make a run. And now we're saying good luck versus the Tigers. Yeah, it's it's a bad situation for the Cardinals right now. But it's deteriorating so quickly. And, And right now the Cardinals are 36 and 37. And Tony LaRusso, he said one time they were under 500 but still three games out they win a game and he said hey don't even bother about the standings he said you are nothing when you're 500 you don't start until you're over 500 so don't even worry about the fact right now that the cardinals are four and a half back because you aren't a real team until you're 500 and that's where the cardinals are they aren't a real team right now wow Kind of of sucks. (laughs) Big time. Last night in the NHL, another shocker. The Montreal Canadiens knocking off the Golden Knights 
four to one in Vegas. Montreal leads the series three to two, and it was a pretty dominant performance. And no shots at all. It was like six four in shots in the first period. Opened up a little bit later on, and Montreal did get an empty net goal late. But they win the game four one. They lead three two, and I'm stunned. I am too. I should have put a little bit more respect on Montreal's name because I thought Vegas was going to come into that series and absolutely roll them. And that has not been the case at all. And Michelle, I stayed up late and watched the end of that game and I was flipping back and forth. And let's start with this. The rules in the NBA that call for any out-of-bounds call in the last two minutes to be reviewed and the officials don't trust themselves anymore. So every out-of-bounds call in the NBA inside of two minutes is reviewed. And the last two minutes of the game, we used to say it took 10 minutes. Now it takes 20 or more. It's unbelievable. But last night, you've got an out-of-bounds play. It's reviewed. The Suns inbound from the corner near their basket. And if you have not watched DeAndre Ayton, and somebody made this point last night during the telecast, this is like an old-school Kareem Abdul-Jabbar Bill Walton, Shaquille O'Neal, Akeem Olajuwon. This is that kind of center. He's he's old school. And this is the final play last night between Phoenix and the L.A. Clippers. Not an easy inbound with that big body in front of you. Crowd are looking, throws it. Alley, oh! An alley-oop to win it from the inbound, and Aiton is able to slam it down. It was unbelievable. Unbelievable play, unbelievable execution, and what a play call by Monty Williams. Oh, fantastic. The Suns are cooking right now. They look like the team to beat for sure, and this is without CP3. Yeah, right. (laughs) And people will make the excuse, well, Kawhi Leonard isn't there for the Clippers. Well, that's offset by the CP3 absence. So DeAndre Aiton is... Amazing! Last night he scores 24, including that winner. And this is why I say, Michelle, that he's not typical. He's not like the current, he's like not like a Dirk Nowitzki. He's not like uh, uh, Joel Embiid. He was zero of zero from three-point land. He doesn't take three-pointers like the current big man in the NBA. Mm-hmm. He is the quintessential in the lane. And by the way, 12 of 15 from the floor uh, to get those 24 points. He He's an old-school center, and it's fun to watch. He's fun to watch. Devin Booker is fun to watch. I think a lot of people who are maybe casual NBA fans or people like us that don't mm-hmm. have an NBA team in town and we're more of a playoff NBA town are having their eyes really opened to the likes of Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton. Those two are stars now, and they're going to be the future star faces of this league. And if you've watched the NBA in the playoffs for the last six, seven years, there have been like seven or eight different places where you've seen Jay Crowder play. He's been around the block. Yeah. And now he had that inbound for Aiton, and he's playing really well for Phoenix. And to me, it's just another example of in the NBA more than any other sport, there are so many good players, you have to be in the right place at the right time. And a, and a good coach helps, too. <laughs> and Monty Williams is doing a fantastic job with he them. Is. And the Detroit Pistons won the number one overall pick, so congratulations to uh, Cade Cunningham. Rob- Cunningham. Yeah, because he's going to Detroit. But maybe that's the beginning of the turnaround. He's going to Detroit, Michelle. Positivity? Okay, Sometimes he's, it just he's takes the number one pick in the draft. One star player to then help a team turn around? Yeah but he's still going to spend the majority of his time in Detroit, which right now, by the way, all due respect to us, but they're the most dangerous city in America. Are they? 
Yeah, I think they won this year. Top, top of the charts? Are we two? Yeah, we're always one, too. Yeah. yeah it's, it's unbelievable. It's, it's, it's always us or them. It's quite the battle we have going with Detroit for yeah, most so, dangerous city in America. Yeah, so we've got that going. And so maybe we shouldn't throw shade on them because we're kind of the same place. Yeah, we are. Just a little bit south. But that was a big battle in 2006. And th- so this goes back to that. So, okay, you might be most dangerous city, but we won the baseball world championship. Right. So. And so now they have title of the most dangerous city and the, the Tigers beat the Cardinals is what you're telling me? Yeah, that's exactly so it. scoreboard Detroit. <laughs> at the moment. <laughs> and we're going to talk at the bottom of the hour about... The whole Max Scherzer, Joe Girardi situation and the foreign substance. Well, I called it stupid yesterday, and it's even more stupid now. Uh, it's it's amazing how quickly it's gotten out of control after, what, two days? Yeah. <laughs> two days. It's, it's ridiculous. So we're going to talk about that at the bottom of the hour. But we're off and running, and we want your text to the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Ask Uncle Randy is coming your way on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. We welcome your text to the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Michelle and Uncle Randy with you. And hey, whatever question you might have this morning, and maybe it has to do with your being depressed over the Cardinals or something to that effect, we're more than happy to help you out here. Just ask a question and I will answer it here on 101 ESPN. Michelle, what do we have on the text line? From the 618, Uncle Randy, I was on vacation from work from June 14th to the 22nd. I had reports that were due out on June 21st, so while this person Mm -hmm. was on vacation. They were not prepared or sent out. My direct report is on vacation this week. As a result, I worked 14 and a half hours yesterday. Should I go above my direct report with this issue or wait to see if something is said about them not being sent when they were supposed to? I would suggest that... In the interest of making sure that everything is hunky-dory, that you go above your direct report to make sure that, from a corporate standpoint, everything is fine. I I would absolutely do that. I would not wait for somebody to come back because it might affect the well-being of your company. So I I would suggest that you go above your direct report to make sure that everything's cool. From the 636, dear Uncle Randy, my father-in-law refused a new grill that we got him for Father's Day. Come on, father-in-law. He picked up the scent that we think he's a terrible cook. He asked us to leave before he could make dinner. How do we smooth things over? Well, that is, first of all, that is completely unreasonable on his part. You bought him a new grill and he turned it down? Yeah, who turns down a new grill? Right. And that has nothing to do with quality of cooking. If you're getting a new grill, it's to make you happy. But the quality of your cooking is not going to be any different whether it's an old grill or a new grill, right? It's not, it it has nothing to do with the quality of your cooking. And that's what father-in-law needs to understand. Say, look, it's a Father's Day present. It was Father's Day and we wanted to make you happy. Uh, We think that you're an excellent cook on your other grill and we know you like grilling, so we gave you this one. Whether he's a good cook or not on the grill, that's what you tell him to smooth things over. Good advice. Thank you. Also, again, who I repeat, who turns down a new grill? Yeah, really. On that's, Father's Day. Yeah, that's the biggest selling time of the year for grills. He should know that by now. And, and there's nothing wrong, by the way. I have two grills. There's nothing wrong with getting a new grill and keeping your old one. You can do both. It's a smart move. Do you use your old grill? All the time. Oh, really? I well, just thought you were strictly Traeger. No, I have a Weber gas grill that I roast vegetables on and do some other things like burgers. Burgers don't necessarily be need to be done on the Traeger. 
uh, hot dogs, stuff like that. Nice. And then the Traeger is for special occasions. <laughs> like carrot cake. Well, uh, my food. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so every day for your food. Well, here's the thing, Michelle. In my family, I'm really the only, uh, uh, not really, I, I am the only person that eats steak. Oh, yeah, that's right. So I'll do steak on the Traeger. And then if those guys want a turkey burger on the Weber, I'll do that there over there. Nice. And the Weber is fantastic. It's a great grill, too. From the 314, Randy, I'm stressed out that Nolan Arenado will want to opt out of his contract with the way the Cardinals are playing. Can you put my mind at ease, Uncle Randy? On a couple of fronts. Number one, all the teams that are good have, and big money teams, they have third basemen. Boston has a third baseman. The Yankees have a third baseman. The Dodgers have Justin Turner under contract through next year. Uh, The Angels have Rendon. The Cubs aren't going to spend money on a third baseman. So if Joel Wolf, the agent of Nolan Arenado, reads the room, he's going to recognize that there isn't a big money team. And even if Nolan Arenado would opt out, based on his performance of last year and this, nobody's given him seven years and $199 million, which he's in line for to get. And the other point that he needs to note, the agent and the player, is that a big part of the reason the Cardinals are where they are is because of Nolan Arenado. Last night, after that bad inning, the Cardinals have a chance with an Arenado home run to be back in the game 6-5. And he doesn't do anything. He makes an out. Uh, he has missed on a lot of opportunities. I don't see another team financially stepping up to where the Cardinals have stepped up so that uh, they can sign a Nolan Arenado who's struggled, to be honest with you, for the better part of two seasons now. Yeah, I think that's the key there yeah. is the money and the numbers. Well, and he loves it here. That's the other thing. He, he, he doesn't dislike it here. He understands Adam Wainwright tells us all the time, hey, it's about the the players that you have. He understands that the Cardinals are missing players and they aren't as good as they should be. When you're missing 60% of your rotation, I know people don't want to hear it, but when you're missing 60% of your rotation, that's going to hurt you. It's going to affect the performance of the team. The offense is really struggling now in large part to the two highest paid guys, but the rotation isn't helping out at all. Everything you said is correct, but I understand why fans might be concerned about that because Nolan Arenado, above everything else, is desperate to win and desperate to go somewhere where he can win. And so I don't know if that option exists for him out there based on everything that you just said, but I wouldn't, I don't expect him to leave at all. I would be shocked if he did, but I just wonder if that thought's creeped into his mind at all because he understands that the clock is ticking on his career and this is somebody that wanted to come here in large part because he wants to win. So where would he go? No, I, I don't know if there's I, an option out there, but... The, the fact of the matter is, in his eight-year career, the Cardinals have been to the playoffs. Let's see, so this is his ninth year, right? So his career started in 2013? 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21. Yeah. So in 2013, his first year in the majors, the Cardinals were in the World Series. Yeah, 2013. Yeah, 2014, they were in the NLCS. 2015, they won 100 games. So missed the playoffs on the last in the last two days of the season, 16, 17, 18, 19, they go to the NLCS. 20, uh, they go to the playoffs, and here they are, 21. They did all that without him. Mm-hmm. So based on his career and what he's visualized, he thinks, oh, this is pretty darn good. Players don't look at it in 60 or 70 game segments. 
when Paul Goldschmidt came here, he told me, hey, the reason I came here is because they bring up a great young player every year, and I know they're going to be good. I know they're going to compete for playoff spots and championships. And you can't say that about the Brewers. You can't say that about the Padres even right now, even though the Padres have all of those good young players. So don't worry about Nolan Arenado. I, I hope I talked you off the ledge. I think you did, Randy. Uh, next one from the 636. Dear Uncle Randy, I work in HR and I have a promotion opportunity with two candidates. The top performer who's always late or the average performer who's punctual. Who do I choose? Average performer who is always punctual. You don't reward bad behavior. And if you're always late, even though you're great at what you do, uh, Carlos Martinez, Marcelo Zuna, you can't reward the guys who are always late because when you reward that person, they think that their behavior is proper. And the worst part of it is somebody gets promoted by being late all the time, then the rest of your staff sees that. And they're going to say, well, it doesn't matter what I do. If I'm late, I, I, I can get promoted too. No, I'm going to promote the better employee. And that's the person who's, who's there all the time. So the better employee is not the top earner. No, the better employee is the person that's punctual and gets their job done all the time. You're going to get burned. If you empl- if you promote somebody who is late all the time, you're going to get burned because that person's not going to stop being late. No, if anything, they'll be emboldened to, yep. to come in even later, yeah. <laughs> right? Um, however... And when you make that promotion, you bring them in and say, the reason that this person is getting the promotion, even though you're great is that you aren't prompt all the time, and that's part of the job. But then do you think, just devil's advocate here, you're sending a message to the rest of the office that as long as you're punctual, and even if you're not earning as much, that you're going to curry some favor, that those are the things that matter when it comes to advancements in the workplace, not necessarily the the money you're generating. In an ideal world, you'd like to have both, but... At the end of the day, I can't reward somebody who is late. Because what if that person has an 11 o'clock meeting scheduled and shows up at noon and costs you $100,000? That is so late in the day, too, if you're showing up at noon. Well, well, let's move it back. Let's say the person has a 930 meeting and shows up at 10 and costs the company $100,000. You just can't have that, I don't think. I I don't think our sales staff would get by with that even the best salespeople. Right. Okay, last one from the 314. Dear Uncle Randy, is going to a Cardinals game a good idea for a first date? If so, where should I sit in the ballpark? Get the best seats that you can, and yes, it's a great idea. Our second date was a a Cardinal game. But yes, in St. Louis, going to a Cardinal game is a great first date idea because it is more than just a game. And if the person that you're taking to the game has ever been to a game, they'll recognize pretty quickly that it's more than just a game, that it's a social event. There's so much to do. There's so many different food choices that you have. And then, especially if you both like baseball, that'll be even more fun. But the point is, it's kind of like going to Top Golf. You don't have to be a great golfer or really enjoy golf to have a great time at Top Golf. The way the Cardinals have it set up now is you don't have to have been a fan before to enjoy going to a Cardinal game. So, yes, I would say that that is a great first date idea. Then maybe hit Ted Drew's after or something like that and have a good time. There you go. There you go. And you still can talk during the game. So Right. It's a social event. It is. You can't talk during a movie. That's right. So utilize that. Take advantage of having the Cardinals uh, with the full house. And, yes, 
get in touch with the Cardinals and get the, the best seats that you can afford. If you're in the 200 section, it's a great spot. It'll be a nice warm night in St. Louis. And so I would say that if you get something in the 200 section for a first date, you'll be in good shape. All right. Thanks, Michelle. You got it, Randy. And thank you very much for your text to Uncle Randy here on 101 ESPN. Coming up, Joe Girardi got things started in a hot and heavy manner last night with foreign substance testing. That's coming your way next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Somebody off their game, and Davey rightfully coming out to protect his guy to see what's going on here. Matt drops his hat, and Carlos uh, Torres is going to get mad at him. This is in the middle of an inning after you struck a guy out, and it was initiated by the other manager. If I'm Davey, I'm not standing for this at all. And now Girardi's going to come out and be a bigger part of it. Well, I love how Davey's coming out to protect his guy here. Girardi's trying to find anything to get Max off his game, but honestly, I think it's only going to fire him up more and going to make him better. Our friend Bob Carpenter had the call last night on Masson in Washington as in Philadelphia, Joe Girardi asked for a check of Max Scherzer, as you heard, after Max Scherzer had struck out a Philadelphia hitter. Michelle, through all of this over the course of the last week, as we approached this week and the knowledge that pitchers were going to be checked for foreign substances, even though Buster only reported that teams would ask for pitchers to be checked, I didn't think that this rule was put in place for gamesmanship to try to get into the head of the opposing pitcher. Which is clearly what is happening. And gosh, it's only been a couple days and this thing has already spiraled out of control. Scherzer was inspected three times in five innings. Three times in five innings. And with the third one being the one we just heard with Joe Girardi instigating it. And clearly managers are looking at this situation and they're looking at it to try to get somebody like Max Scherzer off their game. And in that moment he's rubbing his hand through his hair. He said later he's trying to get sweat on on his fingers so that he could grip the ball and a manager is if, if you're George Girardi and you're in a game like that that you end up losing 3-2 and Max Scherzer's on the mound and you can see that he's going to be potentially frustrated and that this this is an opportunity for you to potentially throw a pitcher off of their game I think we're going to see a lot more managers not just Joe Girardi start to take advantage of this well here's the thing Scherzer been checked twice you have to wonder, is Joe Girardi's respect level so low for Max Scherzer that he thinks that Scherzer, after being checked twice, is going to try to cheat, especially after he almost hit Alex Bohm? Here's what Girardi had to say. I've seen Max a long time, since 2010. Um, obviously, he's going to be a Hall of Famer. Um, but I've never seen him wipe his head like he was doing tonight, ever. Um, going like this, right? So... It was suspicious for me. He did it about four or five times. Um, it was suspicious. I didn't mean to offend anyone. I just got to do what's right for our club. Does he seriously think that Max Scherzer is putting spider tack in his hair? Yeah, and don't you think then your fingers would be sticking through as you're trying to yeah, go right. through your hair? It, would, it wouldn't be a fluid movement if there was spider tack in his hair. It's ridiculous. It's, and for his part, I don't blame Scherzer for being upset. And he had collected his thoughts when he spoke after the game. 
Yeah, I mean, the two checks were, I guess, normal. You know, umpires, you know, this is new for everybody, but, uh, you know, like, hey, they're checking your hat, they're checking your glove, I'm, you're, you're ready for them to check your hands, you know. I wasn't, you know, just using rosin tonight, so wasn't doing anything. That, that's all fine. And obviously, Girardi, um, you know, for me, it's, you know, kind of confusing. Um, if you watch the bomb at bat, um, I mean, I just, I almost put a 95 mile an hour fastball on his head because the ball slipped out of my hand. Um, the only part, I couldn't even get sweat from the back of my head because it wasn't a really a warm night. Um, so for me, I, the only part that was sweaty on me was actually my hair. Um, so I had to take off my hat to be able to try to get any type of, uh, you know, try to get some type of moisture on my hand uh, to try to, you know, mix with the mix with the rosin. And so, um, you know, for me, that's, that's the confusing part is I'm just trying to get a grip of the ball. And you can even watching that previous at bat, the ball slipped out of my hand, almost drilled something in the face. And as a former player that, and a guy who is a catcher, Joe Girardi, he should understand that he, this was total gamesmanship on his part. And I would hope now that every single manager checks Phillies pitchers as often as they possibly can. I wouldn't be surprised if that happens. But also think about this. Baseball's trying to do this so that you get more offense into the game. You get more action. The whole point of this is to make the game a more entertaining product. Is it entertaining if you're watching a game and three different times you have to have the game pause or disrupted so that no. the umpires can check pitchers and then obviously becomes more of a spectacle the third time? It's just elongating the game and making the game about something that's not actually about the action in the game. And maybe what they should do is... Even if a manager calls for a check, it takes place after the inning. It can't take place during a hitter. Yes. And, and so right now, it's you, a manager can call after a hitter for a check. But perhaps the rule should be that only if the manager calls for it, it he can only be checked after an inning. But this is just another thing with baseball where now that it's playing out in real time, we're thinking you didn't troubleshoot this you didn't talk through all of the the machinations of what this could be and how this could slow down the game and how it could be used for gamesmanship it just seems like constantly baseball just throws things against the wall no pun intended to see if they stick and likely they don't and then again later we see the denseness of joe girardi when max scherzer who's highly competitive and kind of has some blackout rage going walked into (laughs) the dugout after he retired the phillies scherzer as the inning ended gazing over over toward the Phillies dugout. Didn't say anything, just looked, and then Joe Girardi came up and said, come on over. Firing everybody up, and he was ejected from the ball game. That's the ejection from Tim Timmons, 40th ejection for Joe. Scherzer mad, showing his hands. Well, if you're uh, Mad Max, you should be careful. Yeah, uh, you know. Should be careful. Well, here's the thing. Joe got upset, and you get it. He's staring him down in the dugout. Yeah, and I, I have no problem with that. It wasn't a gaze. It was a stare down. But Joe Girardi doesn't have to pop out of his dugout. Joe Girardi instigated all of this. He did what he wanted to do. He got inside Max Scherzer's head and got him upset. That's, he, he should be happy at that point. And in the previous clip, we heard Joe Girardi say, I've watched Max Scherzer pitch for a long time. I know who he is. This was 
abnormal behavior. If you have watched Max Scherzer for a long time and you know who he is, you know that he doesn't like to be messed with, that this mm-hmm. is a guy that does have a bit of a temper and that is not going to stand for someone doing what Joe Girardi did. So in that moment, instead of recognizing that Max Scherzer runs hot and that he's a hyper-competitive person and that, yeah, he probably took offense to that, you make it about you. Joe Girardi well, made it about him. And get a load of this. You, you talk about disingenuous. Here's Joe Girardi again. There were some coaches that were screaming at me, right, and coaches that I know, and it, it bothered me, right? I mean, I'm, I'm not playing games, trying to win games here. I'm not playing games, and I have respect for the other people over there. I have respect for what Max has done in his career. But again, i got to do what's right for our team. If you have respect for somebody, show it, first of all. Mm-hmm. And second of all, you were not reacting to their coaches screaming. You were reacting to getting stared down by Max Scherzer. Because he got you. Big time. And you tried to disrupt him and it didn't work. Yeah. So I, I hope that the rest of baseball takes note of this, like I said earlier, and that the other teams that take on the Phillies when Aaron Nola's on the mound or when um, Zach Wheeler's on the mound, get those guys checked all the time. I think that it'll happen. I an think eye for an eye. Yeah, I think it's definitely going to happen. Now, uh, did you see the Sergio Romo video yeah. from last night? <clears throat> so we're seeing pitchers that are being questioned by umpires. A lot of guys are throwing their hats off, and they're immediately taking their belts off. And I, I appreciate the dramatics of it, because if I was being accused of something I wasn't doing, I would take offense to it, too. And that's probably how I would react as well. But I was thinking about it. And if you are cheating, if you do have something on your belt or on your hat, and then all of a sudden when the umpire approaches you, you act all bothered by it and you're ripping your belt off, that that to me would make the umpire back off a little bit. Like, okay, sorry, I didn't, I didn't mm-hmm. mean to upset you. So I wonder if the theatrics of this is actually throwing some people off the scent a little bit. It very well could, because most pitchers are accepting of it. We saw DeGrom two nights ago. We saw Scherzer, before Girardi called for him last night. The pitchers, the ones that we've seen, are generally having fun with it and smiling. But then there are going to be those guys who probably were using the spider tack and are a little bit upset that they can't use it anymore. Big time. And a guy like Roma, who only throws wickedly breaking sliders. He's probably a little bothered by the fact that he's getting checked and he can't use anything anymore. I would imagine there's a lot of guys out so, there. It, it'll be interesting like to see how this unfolds over the course of the next week, but it is. It just looks ridiculous, doesn't it? When when Max Scherzer has to throw his hat on the ground and throw his glove on the ground and basically say, okay, I'm naked here to whatever you want to do. Yeah, check I'll pull me my out. pants down. Yeah. We're good here. It's it's ridiculous. It's become a clown show. It has. And baseball could have, they sent out a memo in spring training. They could have gotten a handle on this a long time ago. But now here we are on June 23rd, and it is a clown show. And that's the troubling thing is that players took advantage. The, the Baseball gave players an inch, and the players took 100 miles. And so it's on the players, but then it's on baseball, too, because they knew. And Trevor Bauer says, I've been talking to baseball about this for four years, even Rob Manfred. And they didn't do anything until their offensive numbers went down the tubes. And now here we are two days into this and it's already become it's crazy. <laughs> awful. Yeah. So I, I'm I'm not on the side of either one here. I'm not on the side of the pitchers who use this stuff. And I'm not on the side of baseball who are so reactionary and never get in front of a, a situation. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up, take it or leave it on 101 ESPN. Get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. 
We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Wednesdays with Wayno coming up at the top of the hour here with Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. But right now, it's take it or leave it. Michelle, Randy, and you text 65780 to the Air Comfort Service text line, and Emily will have your Teolis for us. And, uh, Michelle, we may have the NBA Conference Finals going on right now. You do have Phoenix and the Clippers. You do have the Bucks getting underway with the Hawks. But that news is minuscule in the NBA. Because, as you and I discussed off-air yesterday, there's a bigger story and kind of sad news coming out of the uh, Tristan thompson Khloe Kardashian relationship. So here's what's happened. To, to give you a lay of the land here, uh, Tristan and Chloe have a baby together. So Chloe is known as, or a.k.a., a baby mama. Okay, Tristan got together with somebody else named Sydney Chase and uh, had a little fling with her, but Chloe stuck by her man, Tristan Thompson. Now, recently, page six in the New York Post reports that Tristan was accused of having a fivesome. That's getting together with four other adults, consenting adults, and having a, a fling, getting together, hooking up, as it were, with four other people. Interesting. I don't know if it was four other women or three women and a man. I don't know how it worked out. But anyway. It was just five total. Just five total. It, it was a fivesome. And now comes word that Chloe has broken up with Tristan. So take it or leave it. This was uh, strike two, apparently, for Tristan the last time. They've broken up once before. Take it or leave it. Chloe and Tristan wind up together again. I'd like to leave it because I hope that Chloe sees the situation for what it is and that she moves on to someone who is going to be true to her, just like mm-hmm. her daughter's name. Um, but I might have to take it because I think that... Tristan just finds a way to to spin a tail and mm-hmm. convince her that he's going to be okay and that he, this is not going to happen again. But One we more. all know it's going to happen again. It is. But here's the thing. Take it or leave it. Tristan finds his responsible side. Chloe says, no, I don't want you to have anything to do with me or this baby. And Tristan goes to Montana Yao and says, I want to be the father for your child because I know Malik Beasley is not responsible enough. And she accepts him and they become a happy family. I know you dream of that, Randy, but I don't think it's going to happen. It seems like Tristan is not really interested in the family life. He's interested in the street life. So, so I don't know why he would leave his own child to take care of another. Okay, so then take Doesn't it or leave it. Seem like the play for him. Tristan gets together with Larsa Pippen. I'm going to leave that. Darn it. Because she's an enemy of the Kardashians. Oh, is she? Okay. Yeah, yeah. She used to well, be best no, friends with the enemy Kim's. of The enemy is my friend Tristan and Larsa. But I think he still wants to keep the door open for Chloe, right? Okay. You know, and that would automatically bolt it shut. Okay. Darn it. Okay. Uh, by the way, how are you doing in the wake of this news? Are you okay? Sad. Just yeah. hashtag sad. I knew you would be. Yeah. I'm sorry. Okay, well, I'm going to keep it in the NBA, Randy. Okay, good. So we know, obviously, that the 76ers... They lost that series to the Hawks. 
props to the Hawks, but the 76ers lost that more than the Hawks won it. Doc Rivers, this is from ESPN Stats and Info. Doc Rivers has 29 losses with a chance to clinch a playoff series, the most losses by a head coach in NBA history. His 341 win percentage is the worst all-time among coaches with 20-plus games in the postseason. Take it or leave it. If Doc Rivers didn't have that championship with Boston, the narrative around him as a coach would be completely different. 100% take it, yes. Thank you, Ray Allen, Kevin Garnett, and Paul Pierce for getting him that championship, which, by the way, was 2008. It's been a minute for Doc. That's an unbelievable statistic. 29 losses in clinching games. That's really bad. 29 losses with a chance to clinch a playoff series. 341 win percentage in in those scenarios. Not great. Not great at all. And I think Doc's a good coach, but that stat, when it comes down to crunch time, when it matters... He's not the guy, clearly, that can get it done. That's when coaches make their money. Look at Monty Williams last night. Right, exactly. So do you have, for example, Ben Simmons, or is do you rely on a bead at the end of the game the other night rather than Ben Simmons trying to make a play at the hoop? Now, I would look at that scenario, and clearly that loss had specifically game, well, actually a few games in that series, but specific to Game 7, had far more to do with Ben Simmons, I think, than Doc Rivers. But again, if you're the coach in that scenario, and and Ben clearly doesn't have it or is scared to shoot or whatever, you mm-hmm. adjust. You don't just keep, keep him in and keep going to him. Exactly. Emily, what do you got for us? From the 636, take it or leave it, Randy knows too much Kardashian knowledge. I'm going to take that. He knows more than anyone I know. It's actually NBA knowledge. It is NBA knowledge. So but it's, it's off the court like, NBA I, knowledge. I really couldn't tell you, like, does Kim have four kids now? Yes, four. I don't know. I, I know North, Northwest. Is it, do they have a Southwest? No. <laughs> do they have an East-West? No, they don't. She's a, the only directional child. Uh, okay. The extent of my knowledge is truly from watching, like, the OJ documentary and Uh Kanye West. So you definitely know more than I do. That's a good thing. So let's see. You've got, let me see if I can name all the daughters. Chloe, Kim. There's not a crystal, is there? Chloe, (laughs) Chloe, Kim, Kylie Kendall. You're missing one. (sighs) The oldest. Oh, yeah. She's dating a famous rock star right now. Mr. Ed. Um, oh, uh, the one on the, the, the commercials. Is that No, it's Chloe doing the commercials. Chloe's doing commercials. Uh, who is it? You're going to be mad when I tell you because yeah. you know it. I know. And the oldest one is Chris, the mom. Chloe, Kim. <laughs> uh, come on. Courtney. Courtney, okay. But Chloe is the one that used to be have the Mr. Ed nose. Randy, let's not rip people's looks. I'm not ripping. No, I'm. I liked Mr. Ed. Thought he was great. Oh, Emily, move it on. That's mean. From the six three six, take it or leave it. Both Bader and Flaherty are back by August first. Yeah, I'll take it. I'm, I'll be an optimist. I'll take it too. And they need him big time. From the six three six, take it or leave it. Steve Nash leads Brooklyn to the championship next year. I'm going to go ahead and say KD, Harden, and Kyrie will leave Brooklyn to the championship next year. But I'll take the fact that Nash will be the head coach. I don't know if Mike D'Antoni will be his number one assistant, though. It seems as if he's on track to get another head coaching job. But if you can keep Harden, Durant, and uh, Kyrie healthy, then you should win the championship, yes. This is such an interesting Final Four, and... 
I, I kind of look at whatever team is going to win this year, and this is no disrespect to them, but how lucky were they that, oh, yeah. that Brooklyn had all of those injuries and that they have a clearer path to a championship? Everything has fallen their way. Yeah. Yep. From the 618, take it or leave it, the English Premier League is more popular in St. Louis than the NBA. Ooh. I think TV ratings would cause us to dispute that. I know a lot of people love their weekend mornings watching mm-hmm. EPL. Obviously, this is your home for soccer. Tottenham Hotspur, and we may lose Harry Kane, by the way, which is not good. Wow. Man City making a big offer for him. Stressful. Yeah. Stressful. Coys. Um, but I would say that I think, especially if we're talking playoff basketball, if you compared the ratings, that playoff basketball rates higher than EPL in St. Yeah. Louis. Even though we are clearly the hotbed of soccer. We are. And that's not to say that soccer is not incredibly popular here. Right. Just if you talk NBA playoffs and English Premier League, I would would suggest that the NBA is more popular because it's, you're finding it in prime time. Mm -hmm. It's easier to find. And I have a feeling a lot of people last night might have wanted to switch off the Cardinals game. I did. And found their way to NBA playoffs yeah, to once, that Suns game. Yeah, once it was 6-2 to two at the end of that inning, I was I was going back and forth between all three, but I will admit that I was spending more time on the basketball and hockey games. From the, let's see, 314, take it or leave it, Lars Newt Bar goes yard today. I'll take it. Take it, definitely. Newt. What is, is that the best name in it baseball, is. Lars Newt Bar? Yeah, and he's got, his full name is incredible. They were talking about it yesterday on the fast lane. Let me see if I can get it. Uh, it's just a fantastic Newt bar. Uh, he's got two middle names. So four names total? Yeah. Love that. Uh, Lars Taylor Tatsui Newt bar. <laughs> so, Taylor ha- hyphen Tatsui Newt bar. It's T-A-T-S-U-J-I. So Newt bar. I believe he's part Dutch, part Japanese. Interesting. Incredible. And a, a gifted baseball player. Let's have Lars Newbar get hot and give Cardinals oh, fans something to cheer fantastic. for. Fantastic. Thanks, Emily. Thank you. And thanks for your text to the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. It's time for Wednesdays with Wayno coming your way next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> Welcome back to Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Michelle and Randy, and we head to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line, and it's time for Wednesdays with Wayno. Cardinal pitcher Adam Wainwright, kind enough to join us, and he does so on behalf of Big League Impact. Wayno, good morning. How are you doing? Doing great. How are y'all doing? Everything's great. I want to talk about something very important, and I know it's near and dear to your heart, and that's walk-up songs. The Cardinals will come back home tomorrow night to take on Pittsburgh, and I want to know what Adam Wainwright's favorite all-time walk-up song is, whether it's your own or somebody else's. Uh, Well, I mean, the problem with walk-out songs and how they're done nowadays is you don't know who's up to bat. So my favorite walkout songs are when you hear a song, you know who it is, right? So like when Chipper Jones was in his heyday, he came out to Crazy Train. And as soon as you heard, I, 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 everybody in the stands knew that was Chipper. You know what I mean? Like Barry Bonds, I forget which song he had. Um, everybody knew he was up to bat. Albert Pujols, when he was there, he had a certain song he walked out to. Everybody knew that song. 
you know, holiday came out, the chicken fried, everybody, <laughs> you know. But, so I, I always tell people, like, don't change your song over and over. And I've had the same walkout song my entire career. And now most people don't, you know, care too much about my at-bats. Um, they, you know, I think everybody thinks it's fun when I get hits and hit homers or whatever. But, you know, you still know when Song of the South comes on, I'm coming up to bat. Yeah. Uh, I think there's something cool and, and, and awesome about having a song and sticking with it, you know, and being, being, being the guy that comes out to Song of the South. You know, I've, a lot of people have commented on that over the years. And they say, hey, man, that's, that's great. You come out to that song. It represents where I'm from. And I say, hey, it represents where I'm from, too, you know. I mean, I mean I'm, you know, I'm a, a, a child of the South, and, and that song reflects a, a lot about what I said. But, you know, I just like when guys have a song. I think that's neat. I think, it, you know, when, when you change your song every other week, nobody in the world knows, usually even knows what that song is. And they don't know uh, who's up to bat. I think if you're if you're up there getting nachos, and you hear a certain song come on, you ought to be able to go, "Oh man, Yachty's up to bat," you know, and, and go run. I just think that's cool. I'm I'm with you, Wayno. I can't hear "Long Hot Summer Day" and not think of Matt Carpenter. Well, that's because no one's ever heard that song <laughs> exactly. except for when he comes up to bat. <laughs> <laughs> it's as famous as it is because of him. Yeah, but it's on many a playlist in St. Louis now. <laughs> Of course it is, yeah. He's, he's he's turned the Turnpike Troubadours into a St. Louis face. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, Wayno, I'm curious about this. Every morning, Randy and I, we come in and we take a look at the standings. We want to see, obviously, what the other teams in the division have done. Is that something that you and your teammates do as well? Or do you get a general sense of, of what other teams in the division are doing, or is it something that you check religiously? No, I think, I mean, you know, you, you know where they are. There's The standings are always up on the boards wherever we are. The flags are flying at Wrigley to let you know where, where everyone is. And, you know, the, the the media is going to talk about where you are in the stands. So, it's like, you know where everyone is. But and just watching the game. I'm a fan of baseball. I'm a fan of, of the game in general. So when I go home to the hotel or to the house or whatever, I'm watching highlights, you know, and then inevitably that you know, somebody will say like, all right, that takes them to second in the division or they're two and a half games back. I always know where they are, but my mother-in-law is hilarious. She'll check the standings one day into the season. You know, she's <laughs> like, well, y'all are on top, you know, keep it right there. I'm like, we've played one game, but uh, it's, it's fun. I, I, I like, uh, I, I like knowing where everybody's at, but it's, it's impossible not to anyways. And this division is so tight. Heck, I, I think we can get to September without looking at the standings if we really don't want to, because I think it's going to be cards, Cubs, Brewers, maybe the Reds. It's going to be a four-way dog fight. There's no doubt about it. Um, we're going to, it's going to be a four-way bludgeoning as much, you know, in the central as it is in the American league East or the national league East, I believe it's going to be that way too. I mean, uh, those teams are going to beat up on each other. We're going to beat up on each other. Actually, the West is going to beat up on each other too. Those top two teams are, are really tough. Those top three teams should, uh, I should say are, are really tough and they're going to, they're going to, I mean, there's some, there's some really tight divisions in the national league. It's going to be that way all year long. It's going to be a fight to the finish. And like you said, you know, when you have teams like that that are very evenly stacked, you might as well just play one week of the season at the very end and see where where, mm. where it lands. But, you know, this is a testament. Of, it's a 162-game grind. It's a testament of all the the hard work, and it's a testament of who can go out and have the fewest slumps, the fewest bad stretches. You know, that's what it is, and the most good stretches. Uh, that's And, and there's going to be a lot of times where we don't feel great, and we're going to have to go out there and, 
be professionals and find a way to win. And there's going to be times where we feel great and we're going to have to go out there and handle business like we should. So it's a, it's a long season, but you got to grind through it. Uh, speaking of that, does that mentality play into perhaps how the team feels right now? Because you, you had a sweep of the Marlins. You come out, you give the team a strong effort. They take You guys take one of two on Sunday. But other than that, I know that you've made comments, your teammates have, that you don't feel like you're necessarily playing to your capabilities right now. So what's the mood of the team as we as we sit here at the end of June? It just kind of feels like everyone's waiting for some something to to click or to some for somebody to break out or for something to, you know, in 2018 we were kind of that way and then carp carried us for like two two months, you know, um, and then you know there's been times where 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 Jack did that in 2019 at the end of the second the second half there, there's it's been times where we were kind of like waiting on somebody to take the reins or somebody to and to 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 just kind of take charge or for for a couple of good games to swing in our direction or a big play. I don't know. It's like we're waiting on something uh, instead of taking it uh, control and taking it by the horns and just kind of making our own destiny. You know, you you just can't wait around in the game of baseball for something to happen to you. You got to make stuff happen. You know, the winning teams in baseball, they find ways to win games. And the losing teams – they find ways to lose games. And, uh, you know, being honest in that stretch we had, we found a couple of ways to lose games, you know, and, and uh, we, we faced some tough pitchers, no doubt. But those are the times where you got to find a way to make a, to, to win a game, to, to make it work, to, to stretch a, a single to a double or a, a five-inning performance to a six-inning performance, whatever that is, whatever role you have. Uh, you gotta, you gotta find a way to take it to the next level sometimes, and and we will. We just waiting on it to happen. I'm, I'm, I'm ready for it to happen. I know our fans are ready for it. To happen. I know y'all are ready for it to happen, and and uh, we, we want nothing more than to make it happen. It's just sometimes it's more difficult than others for whatever reason. And Adam, you talk about taking charge, and I watch you on the mound. I, I know how hands-on you are with big league impact. I know that you're the commissioner of your fantasy football leagues. Is that just inherent in the Adam Wainwright personality? Are you just a take-charge, I'm-going-to-get-it-done guy in every facet of your life? <laughs> um, you know, I never have really thought about it, but I think maybe I am. Um I became the commissioner of the fantasy football league in our, in our clubhouse in 2008. Um, Braden Looper was our commissioner before me. And when he left, everybody's like, who's going to be the commissioner. And I didn't even put it up for, you know, I'm still a young player at the time, but none of the old guys wanted to really take on that stress. And I wanted it done right. So I'm like, I got this, you know, and I've been the commissioner ever since. And, And Matt Carpenter, actually asked me yesterday, he's like, you know, one of the biggest responsibilities you're going to have when you retire is who are you going to make the commissioner? And I said, nope. When I am when I leave, I'm not worried about it anymore. I'll be the commissioner in my home league, and I'll make sure it's done right there. Um, so I, I think I think maybe um, in situations where I know the job needs to get done and I want the job done right, I'd rather, I'd rather be in charge of it than, than follow somebody else's lead that's not going to do it right. As the commissioner of the Fantasy Football League in the clubhouse, have you ever had any big issues that you've had to settle? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Tons of them. And it adds a lot of, you know, I'll be sitting on the pew at church, you know, five seconds before the sermon, and, and I'll get 
four texts from guys, hey, I forgot to set my lineup. Can you swap so-and-so in before? And I'm like, y'all are the worst. Matt Holiday was the worst about that. You know, he would he would live on a different time. So he'd be out in Oklahoma or Texas or someplace, and he'd be like, hey, can you set my lineup? And I'd be like, dude, I'm at church. Set your own lineup. You know, he's like, okay. And here's the other thing. Guys never, ever, ever remember their password. I'm like, dude, just stay signed in. How hard is it? Like, what in the world? And I'm like, and pick a password that, you know, write your name if you have to. Write your favorite color if you have to. But remember your passwords. Guys never remember their passwords. And I'm always having to try to send them out passwords and this and that. I mean, it's it's just unbelievable. And they think that you know and have easy access to their password. Well, it doesn't matter what platform you're on. For a commissioner, it's a hassle to get somebody signed back in. It's a super hassle, and it ends up having me. What ends up happening before, and Yachty's the worst, too, because he never remembers his password. But uh, they'll they'll say, hey, just, just swap this guy out for me and this guy out for me until I can remember my password. So basically, I'll be end up making everybody else's team. By the way, I'm trying to check my own lineup, you know, at a certain time, too. I'm like, guys, i got to plug my own lineup in here. But the other thing is trade trades are our, our big league clubhouse is nuts about trades. We make we make more trades times 10 than any other league I've been in. And uh, everybody thinks that everybody else is trying to hose the other person. And, and so then, you know, back in the day, we used to have it where where guys would want a, a vote for that. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I am autonomous leader of this deal. I will vote myself if this is a good trade or a bad trade. I will be truthful about it. But don't be sending me a kicker for Tom Brady in his MVP season, all right? (laughs) Who is uh, the biggest guilty party when it comes to that? That's always trying to concoct one trade or the other. Uh, Definitely me. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Definitely me. Everyone in the clubhouse would say that same thing. But here's the thing. I send fair proposals. I'm trying to help them. I look at their team roster, and then I go, all right, you clearly clearly don't have enough good players. And so I will – I like to send in, like – three, two or three, like, second-tier players for one player, one dynamic player, because if I, I feel like if I can get two or three 30-point players on my roster, then I'm going to have a great chance to win. So, And then you kind of piece together the other parts. but and, and then I give them depth, but they, you know, they don't always see it that way. But eventually, you know, sometimes they got to come around because they need to start lineup. Adam, having played in a league with you and seen the relentlessness of your trade offers, that's what I imagined Mo and Gersh did with the Rockies. It was almost, I I felt like they must have been emailing and texting and calling every day saying, okay, uh, what if we do this, this, and this for Arenado? Or what will it take to get Arenado? Or what if we do this, 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 and this for Arenado? I kind of think that Mo and Gersh were probably the fantasy football version of Adam Wainwright in their pursuit of Nolan Arenado. Well, I like to hope they were. Um, Because that was a pretty good get. Um, And also part of the key to trading sometimes is relentlessly annoying people to death until they want you out of their life so bad they do it. Um, And uh, if if, if that's what it took to get Nolan, then that was worth it. Well done. Well done, Mo. (laughs) No doubt. Absolutely. I'm glad they waynoed the Rockies. Well, that's going to be a, a phrase now. We waynoed them. <laughs> um, Adam, I want to ask you one more thing about the clubhouse. So we had your teammate, Miles Michaelis, on the show this week, and Randy asked him about lightening up the mood sometimes in the clubhouse, and we got on the subject of pranks, and he brought up a very great story about how 
he and I don't know if you were involved in this or not, so you'll have to tell us if you were, but uh, a rookie player got off the bench during a, a brawl or, you know, where the bench is cleared and you guys <laughs> printed a, a, a fine, a fake fine or something for him and you let it go on a long time. And so I know that you are big on the prank. So I want you to tell me a great prank that you've executed that we haven't heard of. Well, I mean, my all-time favorite pranks are when you get in the rookie's hotel room. Um, right when we land from the plane, we, you know, will occasionally swap a hotel key out. I'll be in their room waiting on them when they get in there, hiding in the shower or wherever. I mean, you get off, you know, you take a long plane flight. Sometimes the first place you got to go is the bathroom. So, you know, sometimes I'll meet you in there. And uh been known to, to scare a couple of guys right onto the floor. Um the other, uh, you know, there's been some other good ones. I got in some great prank wars with Skip Schumacher. I mean, just real great, just never-ending prank wars, season-long prank wars. Uh, and, and my good buddy Blaine Boyer was on the blunt end of this one also. So I will, uh, if you do something to me, I will uh, have been known to get your dress shirt that you're going to wear on the plane and uh, have my stitched nameplate Wainwright uh hot pressed onto their dress shirt on the back of it. So uh, they have to wear, they have to wear my Jersey on the plane on the way home, basically. So uh, that's a pretty good one. Um, that goes, that, that goes over well with everybody because it's not over the line, but you know, if, if, if they play prank wars, right, they have to wear that shirt on the way home. And, and both the guys did it. They were good troopers about it. That's beautiful. Were you the perpetrator or the victim of the one with the the uh, pickup truck in spring training where a pickup truck wound up on the on the track or something? Yeah. Lance Berkman got me. He, he auctioned off my truck <laughs> uh, during April Fool's Day or whatever it was. Uh that wasn't April Fool's Day. When was that? It was just, I think it was just like a, you know, I think it was right before April Fool's Day, late March. He he sent my truck around the warning track and, and sold fake raffle tickets in the stands and then had a had one of the guys on the team's uncles in the stands come down out of the stands and act like he won it and get in the back of the truck. And Lance was actually driving the truck and drove it off into the sunset after, the, you know, it was just hilarious. He got me. That was a good one. <laughs> That's a beautiful thing. Adam Wainwright with us with uh, Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Adam, as uh, Michelle mentioned, we had Miles on for the all-win campaign with Big League Impact, and that is so cool, and I'm glad that so many of your colleagues in Major League Baseball are jumping on board here to use the platform that you have. And I know a lot of your teammates are going to be involved with the trivia night coming up in a few weeks. Yep, trivia night on July 9th, and uh, it's going to be – with me and some of the players are going to be uh, tuning in also. We're going to give away raffle baskets and autograph prizes. We're going to have a lot of fun, I can tell you that. And uh, we're doing the, the Series 6 shirts also um, that you can go on Series 6, a local St. Louis-based uh, T-shirt company who's just done a great job making a really comfortable shirt with a really ugly guy on the front of it. <laughs> um, but they're the Uncle Charlie shirt, and it's our June, it's our June charity of the month. Um, partner this way. Every single uh, dollar raised from uh, from the Uncle Charlie shirts goes directly to Big League Impact. And so through Big League, uh, through the Series Six shirts, through the virtual trivia night, we're going to be uh, doing both of those so we can support Crisis Aid, Food for the Hungry, and the St. Louis Public Schools Foundation. And we're going to be feeding some people. We're going to be helping kids get all the stuff that they need 
for school. We're going to be doing all that through Trivia Night, which you can still sign up for. We'd love to have as many teams in there as possible. You can go to bigleagueimpact.org to sign up or buy us a shirt, buy you a shirt, and you can help us support uh, those three great charities right there in St. Louis who are doing some really great things. So thanks for joining in. Thanks for letting me plug that too, man. Um, that's a really, we're doing some cool things. We'll have a great time during the, during the trivia night, though. It'll be fun. Is the trivia night just a sports trivia night or is it general trivia? Oh, that's a good question. I haven't, I haven't looked at all of the questions. I've looked at a fair amount of the questions. Uh, I know many of them are sports-related. Um, it's a good question, though. I need to, I need to yeah. find that out for our own trivia night tonight. <laughs> <laughs> Adam, many years ago, my wife and I were on a cruise, and they did a sports trivia night, and I was participating, and I, as you might guess, I was doing okay, and somebody else from St. Louis was on the, the cruise in the trivia night. They went and told the people in charge, hey, that, that guy knows trivia. He's on the radio in St. Louis, and they kicked me out. Yeah, I mean, you'd be like a resident expert. That's not fair. You know, you're like uh, Stump the Schwami or whatever that was, Stump the Schwab or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Remember that back in the day? Yeah, oh, yeah. He, he's unbelievable. Yeah, you'd be like that guy compared to most people. I think when you work in the sports field like you do and see everything and talk about all of the stuff all day long with you and Michelle, I, I know that you would, you two would, would just whoop all of us. So, uh, yeah, I get that. I mean, it, you know, it'd be like me entering a pitching contest at the fair. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Adam, it's always great to hear your voice. Thanks so much for taking the time with us. It'll be good to see you guys back home. Enjoy this last game in Detroit, and we'll talk to you next week. All right, thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Thank you very much. Adam Wainwright with us on 101 ESPN, and of course, Wednesdays with Wayno, brought to you by Chick-fil-A, the proud sponsor of Wednesdays with Wayno on 101 ESPN. Don't forget that Wednesdays, you should stop by your local Chick-fil-A and enjoy an ice-cold Sunjoy. Chick-fil-A is donating a portion of the proceeds of Sunjoy Wednesdays to support Big League Impact through the baseball regular season. Some great pranks played by Adam Wainwright and his teammates over the years. Absolutely. And I also love the story he shared with us about being in church. The sermon's about to start and his phone's going off because his teammates have forgotten their passwords or they didn't set their lineup for fantasy football. That's the way fantasy football go. <laughs> it is. It's I, I have never, league. never, I've tried to play one time and I forgot to set my lineup every week. Well, let's see what you needed to do is text your commissioner while the commissioner was at church. I just stopped playing. <laughs> <laughs> That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up, the fight on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Welcome to Character and Smallman in the red corner, average Joe Listener, and in the blue corner, the undisputed king of Morning Drive. Please welcome Randy Character. It's Character and Smallman here on 101 ESPN, and it's time for the fight. And today is not just a regular fight. We have the Hall of Fame on the line today. Chris is with us. On Monday, Chris defeated me because Randy was playing in a Mizzou golf tournament. He was out that day. Yesterday, Chris came in and he beat Randy. Emily, I think it was three to one, right? Three to one. Three to one. He beat Randy handily, which was a shock to all of us because people usually don't beat Randy by more than one. And so today is Chris's third day on the show. If he wins today, Chris joins the Fight Hall of Fame. And there's only four Hall of Famers in the history of this show. So that tells you how rare it is to become a Hall of Famer. So, Chris, with all that said, you're not nervous, are you? 
Nope. I uh, woke up early, drank my coffee, said my prayers. I'm ready to go. All right. Well, let's go. Let's get right into it then. Good luck to you, Chris. Hopefully you get into the Hall of Fame today. Thank you. All right. Question number one. Cardinals outfielder Lars Newtbar made his Major League Baseball debut last night against the Tigers, earning his first career RBI on a sacrifice fly in the fifth. Newtbar was drafted by the Cardinals in 2018 out of which university? Was it UC Davis, USC, or Fordham? Um, oh, goodness. That, uh, <laughs> USC? Is that your is that your final answer? Yeah, yeah sure. Why not? Sure. <laughs> USC, yeah. Oh, okay, great. Sure thing. The record for lowest ERA by a reliever with a minimum of 50 innings pitched was set this century. Which pick? Which pitcher, still active today, holds that record? Was it Fernando Rodney, Zach Britton, or Mariano Rivera? Um, I think Rodney. I think I heard that somewhere. I'm going to go Fernando Rodney. Okay, Chris, question number three. The Pistons have won the first pick in the 2021 NBA Draft Lottery. Who is the Pistons' all-time leader in games played? Is it Joe Dumars, Isaiah Thomas, or Ben Wallace? <clears throat> Um, that would be, uh, I think Joe Dumars. I got to go Joe Dumars. And which two teams won the NHL outdoors games at Lake Tahoe? Was it the Golden Knights and the Bruins, the Golden Knights and the Flyers, or the Avalanche and the Bruins? Um, I'm sorry, Golden Knights and the Bruins, Golden Knights and the Flyers, or Avalanche and who? Avalanche and the Bruins was the third option. Um, I'm going to go Golden Knights and the Bruins. Okay. Checking our score. Randy's on his way in. What's your confidence like, Chris? Are you feeling like a Hall of Famer? Uh, no, not great. (laughs) (laughs) I know that last one was tough. Those are always those games that we watch, but it's kind of on in the background unless your team's playing and then you don't really remember the outcome. That one was tough, Emily. Tough question. Yeah. Yeah, that one that one was hard. I, I felt good about a couple. I just took a shot in the dark on a couple. So we'll it's a see. Hall of Fame fight. That's right. That's right. All right, Randy. You know Chris. He beat me and you. He's here for the Hall of Fame today. Chris, welcome back. Good to have you with us. Thank you, sir. All right, Randy. Here we go. All right. Hall of Fame on the line for Ready. Chris. Question number one. Cardinals outfielder Lars Nupar made his Major League Baseball debut last night against the Tigers, mm-hmm. earning his first career RBI on a sacrifice fly in the fifth. Newbar was drafted by the Cardinals in 2018 out of which university? Um, uh, let's see. I think I'm going to go with the university that produced O.J. Simpson, <laughs> the University of Southern California, USC. The record? He's, a, he's a slash hitter. Lars is. Did you take a stab in the dark at that one? Yeah, I did. Can you really apply OJ jokes to Lars Newtbar? I just did. They okay. went to the same school, I think. <laughs> oh. <laughs> the record, Poor Lars. The record for lowest ERA by a reliever with a minimum of 50 innings pitched was set this century. Which pitcher, still active today, holds that record? Still active today. So it's zero point something. It's got to be zero point seven something. Um, I think I'll take a. Sh- you know what? I'll do the uh, I'll I'll do the lifeline because I think I, I have a name and if he shows up, I'll use it. Okay. Fernando Rodney, Zach Britton, Mariana Rivera. 
Well, Mariano Rivera is not active, so that cuts it down to 50-50. <laughs> and I am going to go with uh, Fernando Rodney. I think 0.63. Okay. Question number three, Randy. The Pistons have won the first pick in the 2021 NBA draft lottery. Good for them. Good for Detroit. Who is the Pistons' all-time leader in games played? Okay, it almost had to be one of the bad boys. And it seems to me that the bad boy that lasted the longest there and stayed the healthiest was Dumars. So you had Lambeer. It definitely wasn't Sally. It definitely wasn't, um, uh, it could have been Isaiah. It wasn't Lambeer. I'll go with Joe Dumars. And which two teams won the NHL outdoor games at Lake Tahoe? Lake Tahoe. Um, okay, one of them, I'm going to go with Boston and was it Colorado or Vegas? I don't remember who won the game. <laughs> um, let's see. They, they definitely played, and they got delayed, and they went into the night. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so this is totally a coin flip, and I'll go with the Avalanche. So your final answer is which two teams? Avalanche and Bruins. Wow. Wow. Emily, did Chris make the Hall of Fame? Let him know. The winner and still champion of the fight, Randy Carricker. The fight sponsored by Ryan Kelly and HeroLoan.com. Check out how they help veterans and service members at the new and improved HeroLoan.com. It came down to the final question. It was so close, Chris, but Randy edged out three to two on the final question. Oh, man, Randy, my heart was pounding out of my chest here. I'm sharing for Chris. You know, we've been through it on Monday together. I'm oh, sorry. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so Lars Newbar was drafted by the Cardinals in 2018 out of USC. As Same a- school that produced O.J. Simpson. <laughs> Uh, produce a lot of great athletes, Randy, not just O.J. Simpson. Oh, oh, they have so many good athletes that many of them get cut. Randy. Oh, man. So the record for lowest ERA by a reliever, minimum 50 innings pitch, was set this century. The active pitcher that still holds it is Zach Britton. Oh, because Fernando Rodney isn't active anymore. That was pretty stupid. It's Zach Britton. Joe Dumars is the Pistons' all-time leader in games played. And the two teams that won the NHL outdoors games at Lake Tahoe, Randy got it right, Chris. It was the Avs and the Bruins. But amazing run, Chris. Thanks so much for playing. Oh, thank you so much. That last question was terrible, by the way. <laughs> oh, thanks, Chris. So yeah, sorry. So I said, Randy, to Chris, while you were coming in the studio and getting ready, that those are the games that if it's not your team playing, you throw it on in the background mm-hmm. while you're doing other things. You're watching it, but you're not totally locked in all the time. A lot of times it's hard to remember who won. Right. And the reason that I remember, remember the first game is because of the fact that it was delayed. And then the yeah. the other one was the just, I, I knew... I knew Boston was playing, and I figured they were so good they won. Yeah, it it was wild. So thanks to Chris. Good run by Chris here in the fight on 101 ESPN. Coming up, the USA Gymnastics Championships are this weekend at the Dome. Tickets are still available for your opportunity to see Simone Biles and the U.S. team. And the U.S. men's and women's Olympic gymnastics teams are going to be decided here this weekend. We're going to talk to gold medalist Shannon Miller about participating and being a part of this next on 101 ESPN. 
We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Michelle Smallman, I'm Randy Carricker on 101 ESPN. And this weekend, the U.S. Olympic team trials for gymnastics will take place here in St. Louis at the Dome. Tickets are still available, and we'll tell you about their availability in just a moment. But let's start by going to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line and welcoming Olympic gold medalist Shannon Miller to the line. Uh, Shannon, it's great to have you with us on the air here in St. Louis. How are you doing this morning? I'm doing great. Great to be with you today. Uh, I want to start with this. Tell us about the weekend in 1992, the first time you made an Olympic team, what it was like for you to advance to the Olympics in Barcelona. It was amazing. That summer, I had just turned 15 years old, which is just hard to believe. Um, Traveling with the team, uh, we went over to France for a couple weeks ahead of time. But then that moment when you walk into the Olympic Village, and most certainly when you walk into the arena for the first time, and you're wearing your red, white, and blue uniform, USA across the back, and you just suddenly feel this competition that's so much greater than anything you've ever done before. And this this great thing that you get to represent and it it is intimidating, (laughs) but it was such really a celebration of all of the work that you put in and, and really everyone coaches and my parents and their support. And so many people work so hard. And then you get to kind of have this wonderful celebration at the, the end where you actually get to go out and compete. It is, it's an amazing moment. Shannon, as you're describing this, I'm imagining just the overwhelming feelings you must have felt in that moment. Here you are, you're, you're a young person, you are abroad, you have achieved your dreams in so many ways, and you're representing your country, which is such a huge honor. What's it like in that moment to not let the feelings overtake you and just be able to focus in on the task at hand, the competition? I think you train for that moment along the way with every competition that you go into. Um, you always remind yourself constantly. It's the same four events. The beam is still four inches wide. <laughs> it's the same floor. It's the same routines you've done thousands upon thousands of times. So I think you use the um, <laughs> the magnificence and the enormity of the event to help give you that energy and adrenaline, but then you keep it um, kind of you maintain that that focus by really thinking about these are the things you've trained every single day. Just bring it back to put your blinders on and it's the same balance beam routine. Just doesn't matter what else is going on around you. You just have to focus on this one event. Shannon won a couple of golds in 1996 in Atlanta, one for the balance beam and on the, with the team competition. And Shannon, I, I introduced you as an Olympic gold medal winner. Is that something that you're hardened to and you just, you just accept? Or is that still a big deal when you get introduced as a gold medalist? It's, I think it's always going to be a big deal. It is such an amazing thing. And I will tell you, I did not start out in gymnastics thinking I was going to be an Olympian or be a gold medalist. I had never watched the Olympics. I didn't even really know what gymnastics was. I loved the challenge of learning a new skill and performing, getting as close to that 10.0 as I could possibly get. 
but as you grow up in the sport, obviously the gold medal is that that one thing <laughs> that you really want to get. And I think for me to be able to be part of the Magnificent Seven in 1996 with the first ever women's gold was such an amazing experience. And then to be able to finish off with gold on my favorite event, which is Balanced Beam, um, it was really a storybook ending for me. And it's something I look to and really don't just think about the gold medal, but all of the work and all the lessons learned that went into that gold medal that now continue to help me with everything I do in life now. I have to believe that there are kids that start at the ages of two, three, and four, and uh, their parents are telling them from that age, hey, we want you to win an Olympic gold medal. So what flipped the switch for you? What, you, what made you start thinking about the Olympics and medals? I think for me, I went into a, a junior international competition. I was maybe 12 years old, and it was over in Italy, and it was the first international competition. I finally stayed on all four events. <laughs> I finally made all my routines. I ended up winning the competition, and that was so foreign to me. I had never won anything nationally, much less internationally. And that evening, when I got to stand up there on that podium with a medal, seeing my country flag being raised, hearing the national anthem. I went home from that competition thinking, I will work as hard as I possibly can. I will do whatever it takes because I want to do that on the biggest stage possible. And for a gymnast, that's the Olympics. This is what I want. And, you know, Randy mentioned, Shannon, that you're a gold medal winning gymnast, but you're the most decorated Olympic gymnast. You had two silver medals, three bronze. You mentioned, obviously, that you were part of the Magnificent Seven. I imagine there's a lot of young gymnasts now who are competing to represent their country or when they do make Team USA that probably look to you for guidance. You're you're probably the standard for them in a lot of ways. So what's some advice that you would give to a young young gymnast about achieving their dreams about ultimately winning gold? Oh, goodness. Well, I think the, the athletes that will be competing this weekend, they need no advice. <laughs> they, they have faced adversity. They have been through so much, and um, they are doing such a tremendous job. So I just want to congratulate them. Uh, but I think we can all be a part of, you know, helping uh, inspire others. I, I know I had incredible inspiration along the way for me, and so I hope in some small way I can be that for someone else. And you, really what I tell athletes is, there's a few things you always have to look to, and that's number one, set goals, long-term goals, short-term goals, but always be setting goals. No matter what competition you just won or lost, set another goal. Um, then make sure that you're not uh, not cutting yourself short. And sometimes we get these negative thoughts of, well, I'm not strong enough. I'm not the most talented. I'm not this or I'm not that. Sometimes people will say those things to us. Believe in yourself. At the end of the day, if you're willing to put in the work, then you can really be proud of what the outcome is. And that's something my parents really instilled in me. It didn't matter whether you won or lost. Did you give 100%? And then the final thing is just have fun. It's really, it's, it's not going to be always a piece of cake in the gym, but you have to be passionate. You have to enjoy the process and the journey and the sport if you want to be successful. Shannon Miller, Olympic gold medalist with us on 101 ESPN. And Shannon, I, I watch, my daughter is a, a big fan, and we watch Simone Biles, and we've had the discussion, and I think it's a, a valid discussion over the last couple of years as to whether or not she's the best athlete in the world. How amazed are you by the athleticism and what these young women are capable of? It, it really is mind-blowing. <laughs> I, I always say I'm so glad that I get to sit in a comfortable chair and talk about these athletes because I would not be 
how they're doing what they're doing. Um, it really is incredible how far gymnastics has come in the last 25 years, um, whether it's the equipment or the um, spectacular moves. It is truly incredible. You, you always think to yourself, well, you can't add another twist or another flip, and then somebody does. And Simone Biles has just taken that five levels up, and she is so much fun to watch because her she makes it look so easy. And that's what I always try to remind people is, she makes it look really easy. It is not easy. <laughs> this is incredibly difficult um, skills that she's doing. Uh, you know, most of them, she's the only one in the world doing them. So I would just say, you know, yes, she's likely going to get the gold, which is fantastic. But don't forget to just enjoy her gymnastics. It is um, it, this amazing thing to watch that athleticism it's watching michael phelps in the pool it's it's watching some of these great athletes you just you need to watch it over and over i just think about being able to jump higher than i am tall (laughs) it's it's unbelievable (laughs) it is i don't think i could ever do that Well, Shannon, uh, we are having you on the show today because the U.S. Olympic team trials for gymnastics are going to be here this weekend at the Dome at America Center. And it's an amazing event. People are so excited that this is going to be here in St. Louis. And as a Missouri native, it has to be cool for you to have St. Louis host such a special event. Absolutely. I was born in Rolla, so I'm, I'm excited to be back and watch all of these competitors. They've worked so hard to get to this point, and I just want to make sure that we are all cheering them on, letting them know how much we appreciate their hard work. And it's going to be a, it's going to be a tough night Sunday night because there's going to be athletes that make the team and athletes that don't. And, and then that difficult spot of being an alternate where you have to keep training, but you don't know if you get, you get to compete. But I think all these athletes have done a tremendous job. I hope the crowd goes and watches and really just enjoys being there. One, to be there in person is so different. It's, it's wonderful to watch it on television. But when you're right there in person, you see the height and the power and you feel the equipment. <laughs> it is just such a spectacular thing to be a part of and especially for an Olympic trial. And Shannon, we want to congratulate you. Ten years cancer-free. Uh, you, you beat ovarian cancer. And uh, you talk about hard work. I'm sure that was uh, an unbelievable fight. And we want to congratulate you on that as well, because th- that is not an easy fight for anybody. And once again, like you did as a gymnast, you're setting an example for other people. Well, thank you. I'm, I never imagined that that would be one of the, the titles I would hold as cancer survivor, but to be 10 years out is, is incredible, and I'm so thankful for a lot of those lessons learned through sport that have helped me on that journey as well, uh, the goal setting and perseverance and teamwork and all of those great things. Well, Shannon, we love having you on. Thanks so much for the time. It'll be great to have you here in St. Louis this weekend. Tickets available, by the way, for Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Thursday and Saturday, the men, Friday and Sunday, the women. Tickets available at Ticketmaster.com, and the event will take place at the Dome, and we'll decide who's headed to the Olympics. Shannon, thanks so much. We appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you. Take care. Have a great day. That is Shannon Miller the most decorated gymnast in U.S. history, although that might be a record that lasts for the rest of the summer. After Simone Biles (laughs) breaks it? Yeah, Yeah. she's incredible. But think about that. Think about the rich history that we have in USA Gymnastics and that Shannon is the most decorated Olympic gymnast. Yeah, and it was great to have her on the show, and it'll be great to have her in town this weekend. Coming up on 101 ESPN with Michelle and Randy, players the Cardinals had but gave up on and are killing it for other teams' power rankings. That's next on 101 ESPN. 
We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Players the Cardinals had. And he is staying. Oh, my goodness. But gave up on. But are killing it for other teams. Power Rankings 4.0. Nine oh two in St. Louis. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. And Michelle, the last week really has not been a, a killing it week for the former Cardinals. We don't feel so bad, except for the way our team's playing. Yeah, I was going to say if the Cardinals were surging and we had a week out of this group of players that used to play for the Cardinals, but it had one point been killing it elsewhere, I think we'd feel better. But it seems like both collective groups of people are kind of lagging, kind of struggling. It's the yes. dog days. It's the uh, it's the dog days of summer. All right, here we go. Number 10. Number 10, Randy, how about our boy Mag Sierra? So it hasn't been great over the past stretch. Over the past week, he's one for six. No home runs, no RBI. And Starling Marte's return from the injured list is kind of closing the door on Marte, or excuse me, on Sierra's run of regular playing time for Miami. So he might even fall off this list as we move forward. No doubt about it. Uh, all right, let's get to number nine. Joe Kelly, not that busy for the Dodgers this past week, but he did not allow a run in his one game, one inning of work. On the season, Kelly is actually performing at a, a pretty good level. He is 2-0 and this year, Michelle, with an earned run average of 5.02, but he's been better of late. So Joe Kelly is our number nine this week. Number eight. Number eight was a guy that was giving a lot of Cardinals fans nightmares, Randy, and that's Patrick Wisdom, who was absolutely on fire for the Cubs. Over the past week, cooled off a bit, two for 17 with a home run and an RBI. He actually went one for four with a solar home run for the Cubs last night in their win over Cleveland. So he's getting back on track a little bit. And even though he's fallen in these power rankings and had a bit of a rough stretch, still 284, 346, 716 slash line on the season. Pretty darn good. Number seven. All right, Michelle, this is a guy you talk about nightmares who may give the Cardinal fans nightmares for a long time. Even though he's only number seven this week, Randy Rosarena was seven for 25 last week, a homer and a couple of RBIs. On the season, hitting 266 with a, an OPS of 770, 10 home runs, 37 RBIs. That would look pretty good in right field for the Cardinals. Mm-hmm. Yes, it would. Number six. Coming in at number six, Randy, how about Donovan Solano? Past week, six for 21. He had no home runs but two RBI. He, I think part of the reason that his production might have been down a little bit, he wasn't in the lineup over the weekend. He was getting some maintenance days. But he is on a team that's doing pretty well, Randy, in the San Francisco Giants. So Here is number five. Hey, guess who's back, Michelle? Who? It's St. Louisan Luke Voigt. He is back from injury. He has his batting average up to 213 after going three for four with a solo homer for the Yankees. His on base, 315. His slug, 383. His OPS, 698. He's missed a great portion of the season. Only had a few at-bats coming into this past week, but he's healthy now. Has two homers, four RBIs on the season. So Luke Voigt is back in the lineup at number five this week. Number four. Number four, Randy. Tommy Fam, our boy Tommy Fam. Quit stabbing Tommy Fam. Quit stabbing Tommy Fam. And by the way, he's asked for baseball's help about that because he's getting such severe taunts. We talked about it a little bit last week, but I was reading more about it. He says he's never seen taunts like this at this level. And even at Petco Park, even Padres fans really going at him, making fun of him over the fact that he's been stabbed. And he said on social media, it's just so beyond what he expected. And so he's going to ask for Major League Baseball's help. To, well, to squash the taunting about getting stabbed. And if I were baseball, I would listen to Tommy because he's a sharp guy. 
Well, you know what's been sharp? His performance it over the has. past week. How about that? Eight for 26 with a home run and an RBI on the season. Um, he has a 375 OBP and a 765 OPS, six home runs so far this season. But Randy, the whole point is to not make jokes about Tommy Pham getting stabbed. Oh, okay. Well, that's a pretty good slash line that he has. <laughs> oh, Number three. Multiple times, too, by the way. We're not just talking about the most recent stabbing. Our buddy uh, Randall Gritchick, who's he'd be even better if he went with Randy, if he would loosen up a little bit. But on the year or on the week, he was six for 22. No homers, three RBIs on the year. Michelle, Randy is hitting 265 with a 463 on base, 463 on base and a uh, OPS of 758, 13 homers, 47 runs batted in for Randy Gritchick. Number two. Number two, Randy, Marco Gonzalez. Over the last week, 2.84 ERA. He gave, he went six innings, two earned runs, and he allowed two runs on five hits and three walks. He struck out six over six innings, as I mentioned, Sunday against the Rays, the Mariners versus the Rays. He didn't factor into the decision, but he's coming in at number two with a performance like that. And finally, number one. Look who's back. Adolis Garcia, six for 24 on the week, a couple of homers, four RBIs, the former Cardinal now with the Rangers, hitting 272 with a 305 on base and a 528 slug. That adds up to an 833 OPS. Michelle, Adolis Garcia has 18 homers and 50 Count him, 50 runs batted, and he's on pace for 36 and 100. Wow. Pretty good. I'm impressed. He is number one. So there you have it. This week's version of players the Cardinals had but gave up on but are killing it for other teams. That's Power Rankings 4.0. Now we just need the Cardinals to pick things up because what we saw last night, not great. So let me give you a comp here. If we had an outfield right now, of a Rosarena in left, Gritchick in center, and Garcia in right. Would you take that group over Tyler O'Neill, Dylan Carlson, Tommy Edmond? No. Even though I should. I think Tyler O'Neill is obviously surging. I don't want to give up Dylan Carlson. And even though Tommy Edmond has cooled, you still know that he provides a lot of versatility for you. It's very close, though, isn't it? Oh, it's very close. I should choose the other the other one. But I really think if Dylan Carlson wasn't in the mix and I wasn't so jazzed about his potential mm-hmm. and what he could be for the Cardinals, that I, I might make that trade. That group has 41 home runs and 134 RBIs so far. And their OPSs are 770, 833, and 758. That Rosarena Garcia Gritchick outfield would be pretty darn good. Yeah. But... You've got Matthew Libertor out of it, and you had Dominic Leone out of it, and you got some cash out of it. Would you make that trade right now? Uh, R3 for their three? Yeah, and it's permanent. It's not just for this season. I kind of think I would. You'd give up on Dylan Carlson? I, I would hate to. I, the thing is, I, I'm taking the overall production. As much as I like Carlson, I'm taking the overall production. I love what Tyler O'Neill has done for the Cardinals. He hasn't completely sold me yet. No, not yet. But he's so far so good. Yeah. I, I think I would. And they're all pretty young, too. So I, who says no? That's the question. Well, the did, Cardinals already did say no. Yeah, they did. <laughs> but if... If they were offered, like if Mo and Gersh are offered a Rosarena Garcia and Gritchick for O'Neill Carlson Edmond. This sounds like one of Adam Wainwright's fantasy football trades. Just yeah. 
our outfield for this outfield straight up. Yeah. I I got to tell you, I think I would do it. I don't blame you. But, but you know what? You know what stops me in my tracks, Randy, is that Dylan Carlson would leave St. Louis and he would turn into someone that would be number one on these power rankings. Oh yeah, he for would. the next ten years. There's there's no doubt. I just I, I like the future of the three as opposed to our three. Mm-hmm. And by the way, Tommy Edmond isn't really our right fielder. Our no. right fielder is who's our right fielder? Justin Williams. I mean, I guess it's Dylan Carlson. Well, yeah, so when, Harrison, when Harrison so, Bader returns, so, yeah. O'Neill, Bader, and Carlson, that changes things for me. It does, and that's obviously what the Cardinals projected things to be. Right. That's Michelle, I'm Randy, and that's today's Big Thing on 101 ESPN. Coming up, you're killing me, Smalls. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> It is time for You're Killing Me Smalls. You're Killing Me Smalls. You're Killing Me Smalls. Well, we we have some news, Randy. Some big time news coming out of the NHL. Not only coming out of the NHL for the Blues. Wait for it. The drama. This is really big. It's coming. I'm telling you. I love the high drama. I know. 101 ESPN breaking news alert. It is breaking news. Randy, the Blues announced that Carl Gunnarsson, their defenseman, announced his retirement today from a 12-year NHL career. And Carl has been a great member of the Blues. And, of course, we will always remember Carl Gunnarsson here in St. Louis because of Game 2 and the Stanley Cup Final between the Blues and the Bruins. One of the most iconic stories in Blues history Carl Gunnarsson, towards the end of the third period, he's in the bathroom with Craig Berube, and he looks at Craig Berube, and he says, I just need one more chance. And 3.51 into overtime, game two, he gets it. He scores! Boom, boom, Gunnarsson! Bring out the Zamboni! The Blues win game two! Boom, boom, Gunnarsson. He gives the Blues a 3-2 win over the Bruins. It was the Blues' first ever Stanley Cup final victory. So a lot of great things that Carl Gunnarsson did for the Blues on the ice, but that's the one that will always stand above the rest. And the Blues gave up Roman Polak to get him, and he became a key member of that dressing room. We we talk about the guys that have left, and he is, with his injury last year, he wasn't present in the room either. And he is right in that mold of Alexander Steen and Jay Bowmeister. Mm -hmm. He wasn't really thought of as a big-time leader in that room, but he really was. And he was a great blue, and I'm glad that he got an opportunity to get a ring here in St. Louis because in addition to that, he's he's a good, funny guy. Absolutely. So uh, you mentioned he was with Toronto for his first five seasons with St. Louis, his final seven. As a blue, he dressed in 325 regular season games. He tallied 52 points. He also appeared in 61 postseason games. And obviously, his most important one was that one. And I think he's a guy, Michelle, that keeps, he stays in the NHL somehow, whether it's in a coaching role or a front office role. I think Carl Gunnarsson is one of those guys that just knows hockey so well. He'll he'll maintain a spot in the league. Hopefully. Uh, hockey's better with guys like Carl Gunnarsson in it. Yep. But here's another void now that the Blues have. You, you mentioned not only on the ice, but le- from a leadership perspective, somebody that's been with the team for a while. And when you look at the left side of that defense, and granted, they didn't have him last year. Right. But 
your depth is probably going to take a hit in the expansion draft. A lot of people are projecting that Vince Dunn will depart. So the Blues will probably have some work to do on the left side of the defense in free agency. They they also will bring back the youngster Perunovic, who they signed last year, the Hopi Baker Award winner. But right now you're looking at uh, Tori Krug and Marco Scandella and, uh, and obviously Dunn and Perunovic. I'm leaving somebody out here. But uh, you're looking at... Uh, Pretty substantial group, but you need some help there. You need help on the third pairing. For sure. But stick stick tap for Carl Gunnarsson. Thanks for all the memories. Yeah. Thanks for one of the, and Curbs, one of the most iconic calls ever. Everybody, when they think of Carl Gunnarsson, the first thing that comes to my mind is boom, boom, Gunnarsson. Definitely, yeah. You're killing me, Smalls. Okay, Randy, back to some stories. So we talked about this a couple days ago, that Vegas the Las Vegas Raiders, it's still hard for me to say that. I always want to say Oakland. The Las Vegas Raiders defensive end Carl Nassib, he came out as gay. He was the first active NFL player to do so. Well, since that announcement, Randy, he has the top-selling jersey in the NFL at Fanatics a couple days in a row, according to Adam Schefter. So there are people that want to make this financially beneficial for the league because of their acceptance of this, either that or they just want to show their support for Carl Nassib, and that's great. Mm -hmm. Uh, This has obviously been a long time coming. As you and I mentioned yesterday when he came out, it's hard to imagine that in the history of the NFL that this is the first openly gay player that's been on a roster. We all had Michael Sam. We knew of Michael Sam with the Rams, but he was never on an active roster. And hopefully people that are feeling caged in for lack of a better term, will feel more free to express themselves and, and live their lives. And I would think that the response that Carl Nassib has gotten, not only from fan support with jerseys, but from organizations throughout the league and, and former players, hopefully people who might still be struggling with whether to come out or not, active athletes will see the support that he's gotten from so many different avenues and feel like they can come out too. Yeah, I, I would be surprised if that wasn't the case, if that didn't happen. You're killing me, Smalls. So when it's the NBA playoffs, Randy, there's always comparisons to Michael Jordan. There's always comparisons to the GOAT. Normally it's LeBron and, mm-hmm. and Michael Jordan, but even though he's out in the playoffs this season, Kevin Durant really showed that he should be in that conversation, that more people need to bring, elevate him to that conversation. So a lot of people want to talk to one person who knows both of them pretty well, and that's Steve Kerr, who obviously played with Michael Jordan and coach Kevin Durant. Well, he did an interview, Randy, with NBC Sports Bay Area, and he was asked about the comparison between the two. And he said that Kevin Durant is the most talented basketball player on earth, if not all time. So obviously they wanted to know how he would compare him to Michael Jordan. And he said this, about KD. I think he's more gifted. I really do. That's saying something. But Kevin is different. He's an entirely different breed. He's 6'11 with guard skills, unlimited three-point range, passing, shot blocking, his shot blocking at the rim. It's just stunning. Watching him this year was really, really gratifying to see. But he doesn't talk about the mental aspect of the game, which is where I think Michael probably wins out as gifted as Durant is. And I'm not going to disagree with Steve Kerr because he would know better than anybody. But think of it from this perspective. Has Kevin Durant willed teams to victory like Michael did? He has not done that. And I think, for me at least, that's what separates Michael Jordan is his desire and his ability to get other players to buy in to his desire to hate losing as much as he hated losing. And that's why LeBron is 
not only because he has the physical comp, but LeBron has willed his teams to win. He's taken lesser talent around them and willed them to an NBA championship. Right. And the one thing that will, if you want to make the argument, the one thing that probably holds LeBron back a little bit is that he didn't win all four years with Miami. And, and Michael, every time he was in the finals, he won. But there really wasn't an excuse for the heat to lose those two series that they did mm-hmm. one to Dallas. And was the other one to San Antonio? I think so. Yeah. They were more talented than those teams. The, the heat were. And Kevin Durant showed that he took the nets without Kyrie and without Harden as far as he possibly could. I mean, yeah. there's, there's no, that loss was at no fault of KD's. No, he's spectacular. And the athletes are better now than when Michael played. I know that sounds like heresy, but it's not the, when you have a 6'11 guy like KD and you have a guy like Giannis and you have players, people say that Kyrie Irving might be the best ball handler ever. Athletically, the players are bigger, stronger, faster, and more graceful now than they were when Michael played. And the way that their bodies are so finely tuned. Mm-hmm. I mean, even watching the last dance, it's not as if NBA players in the past weren't working out the way they were, but Dennis Rodman went off to Vegas for a few days and then popped pop back right, in to right. play. I can't imagine players doing things like that now. No. Their bodies are in hyperbaric chambers after games, and, and just the, the recovery process, I, I think, is so different now, too. You're killing me, Smalls. Okay, Randy, well, a couple months ago, I guess, on this show, you revealed that you really like T-Pain, that you really ride hard for T-Pain. Because T-Pain is my muse in rapping. Yeah, he is. He's my guy. He's your muse. Yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah, well, he's he's one of them. He and who's uh, another one? Ti. Uh, anybody who starts with T, but yeah, Ti. <laughs> Ti. But <laughs> I I can tell you this: I would never have my voice me- mechanically controlled like T Pain does. Well, I'm I'm more old school T Pain. Okay, well, I'm glad that you brought us there to this point in the conversation because. Usher thought the same thing. So there's a series called This Is Pop. Netflix is coming out with it. And T-Pain reveals that Usher had a conversation with him on a plane that broke him in so many ways. We were actually going to the 2013 BT Awards. And we were all in first class. And uh, I went to sleep. I was awakened by, um, by the flight attendant. She said, Usher would like to talk to you in the back. So I got up and went back, and it was like, uh, you know, how's everything going? Quick, small talk. No big deal. And um, it was like, man, I want to tell you something, man. I was like, what's, what's, what's good? I thought he was about to tell me something real. He sounded real concerned. He was like, man, you kind of kind of f***ed up music. I didn't understand. Usher was my friend. He was like, nah, man, you really, like, you really up music for real singers. Literally at that point, I couldn't listen. Is he right? Did I did I f this up? Did I f up music? And I and that is the very moment. And I don't, I don't even think I, I realized this for a long time. That's the very moment that started like a four-year depression for me. Usher sending T-Pain into a four-year depression saying that he bleeped up music. Randy, your thoughts? Two things. Number one, uh, he didn't blank up music because he covered 
a song and made it one of the great songs in the history of songs, right? I mean, T-Pain, he has inspired us, you and I, correct? Yeah, always. So let's let's just hear from... Here tell, we go. Tell me this is blanking up music. <laughs> And then he came back and he won uh, Masked Singer. So he's good. He's cool now. I can understand the four-year depression because I sure telling you that. That would be serious business. But he's back now. He's good. But what and about- he didn't he didn't blank up music. Yeah, two things for me. Has Usher heard Miami? Has he heard the song Miami no, that we just not. played? Clearly not. Uh, if you're a Dolphins fan, as Randy and I are, nothing gets you more hyped than hearing T-Pain sing about the Dolphins. We're talking Super Bowl. Also, what a power move by Usher. T-Pain is asleep on the plane. Usher summons the flight attendant to wake mm-hmm. him up, escort him back to have a conversation and say, hey... Just want to let you know, you blanked up music for real singers. Do you think he would Hope say that to share? No, no one would ever say that to share. And share did the exact same thing. No one would ever say that to share. Exactly. So don't blame the person that uh, interviewed the tech, or invented the technology, right? Right. Oh, good enough. Just saying. I just wanted to give you a chance to respond to that. As I appreciate in, that. No, T-Pain's in, cool. He's good in my book. All right, good. So, thanks, Michelle. You got it. That's your Killing Me Smalls. Next up, Mike Rupp, NHL Network, talking playoffs on 101 ESPN. We are right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> Michelle Smallman, Randy Carricker, great to have you with us on 101 ESPN. And we head right to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line, Mike Rupp of NHL Network. You can watch him on NHL Tonight throughout the Stanley Cup semifinals and Stanley Cup final joins us. I heard Rupper yesterday on NHL Network Radio as well. He's a busy man and we appreciate his time this morning. Uh, Mike, how are you doing this morning? I'm doing well. Hopefully you guys are doing good. Yeah, we're doing well. It seems like the Blues have been out of the playoffs for like three months rather than uh, like three weeks. It, it, ha- it happens. Does it happen for players when you get knocked out of the playoffs that it seems like it takes forever for the Stanley Cup playoffs to end? It does. And I remember when I when I played, when we get eliminated, I would, <laughs> it was, I, I didn't like watching the playoffs for the next little while. So depending on when you got eliminated, I, I'd always watch the finals. I always wanted to make sure that I watched that, and uh, it, but it, it was just you, you kind of you almost check out, right? And you just say, "All right, well, I'm in my off season. I'm going to get ready for next year." And it's kind of hard to watch because you feel like you should still be playing. So um, next thing you know, when everything ends, you're like, "Well, really now?" It feels like we've been done for a long time. So uh, I always thought that was kind of one of those weird times as a player, but. Um, yeah, I mean, it's uh, especially for, for teams to be uh, eliminated early, it, it just seems like an eternity. I, I think the hardest part is that you feel like you should still be playing. For sure, Mike. Well, uh, they're missing some good hockey players that aren't watching right now. Last night, Montreal, they beat Vegas 4-1. to one. They take the series lead 3-2. to two. And when you look at this matchup, what does Vegas need to do to not only equal the series, but go on and win? Well, Vegas just looks, they look out of sorts. And you got to get a lot of credit to, to Montreal for that because uh, I think too many times when you see a team come into a series, especially a team like Montreal who's an underdog, it's always about what, you know, the struggles of the other team. Oh, well, Vegas isn't doing this. And uh, Vegas, uh, 
Vegas is struggling. Uh, they, their center depth is an issue. Where I, I just want to give credit to Montreal because they they make they're making them look that way, right? The way they're playing with their structure and and the way that their their veteran leaders are are, are guiding their team. And uh, I just think that this team uh, in Vegas is it's got to start. Uh, they got to start making more of a party of of bothering Carey Price. And I just don't feel like they've done that enough in this series and. They haven't been scoring goals, and we know we always talk about when you can't score goals, you got to simplify, uh, you got to provide screens. Well, you you got to you, you got to try to get out of the goalie skin. I feel like, and, and that's an area where I think they could have done a better job. And right now, you're pretty desperate. You got to win it. You got to win uh, two games here if you're if you're Vegas, and uh, you, you can't let it, let Carey Price off the hook. He's he's just far too good. Rupper, it seemed like Mark Bergevin, the GM of the Canadians, has been skating on thin ice for a couple of years. It always seems like people are writing that his job is on the line. But I watch that team now, and you mentioned their veteran leadership, and those guys are stepping up, but they have a lot of good young players. Carey Price is playing at a level that he's never played at in the playoffs before. I think they're a really well-put-together unit. I really like the way that team is put together. Yeah, it's it's kind of funny when you sit there and you look at this group, though, because, uh, I mean, you could argue with, obviously, last year, because of uh, the circumstances and the, the expansion of the playoffs, you had 24 teams make the playoffs, and they were the 24th team to enter the playoffs, and they, they did some damage. They upset the Pittsburgh Penguins in the qualifying round, and they looked pretty good in the playoffs, and I think that that kind of masked the fact that last season they, they were the 24th team out of 31 and uh this year as well there was there was they had a great start to the season then they kind of fell in the tank a little bit and, and they're just kind of hanging out for dear life for for stretches and they were playing in the weakest division what people would consider in hockey in that north division and they're the 16th team to enter the playoffs um out of 16 and so i think my point in pointing those things out is uh, how do you really decipher like who they are? Because they've been really good in the playoffs. <laughs> they haven't looked to be that. So uh, I think that's all that matters is it come this time, um, it's about how you're playing at, at this time. And really, in the regular season, I think this is just another indication that all you got to do is get in the playoffs. And this is a team, though, like you mentioned, they're built well. They roll, they roll all their forward lines. They got a really strong top four and D that are big. Um, they're, they, they protect their biggest asset and that's Carey price. And, uh, so the, this team has, has been, uh, really good at the right time. And you got to give a lot of credit to Mark Bergevin and, and for that, for that, uh, team and that organization. Cause I mean, to be frank, they, they could have probably fired him twice over the last couple of years mm-hmm. and they stuck with him, and he's made some bold moves that have been paying off, uh, as of late. Mike, when I look at the other series after that, eight nothing loss in game five kind of an embarrassing night for new york it just feels like it can't end this way for the islanders it it's potentially their last home game at nassau coliseum it just feels like they have to summon something to go ahead and, and tie the series with the lightning yeah no you're you're bang on they, this team has got far too much pride to to kind of go whimpering out in this series, and I would expect a huge game for them in, in this one. And I don't know, maybe it's not enough. Maybe Tampa found their stride, and Tampa's 
right now peaking at the right time and, and take care of business against this Islanders team. But we're going to see a much different game by the New York Islanders. I would expect, um, I would expect this Islanders team to, to come back and win this game. But if they don't win this game, I mean, you're going to see them uh, competing at a, a different level than they did the other night. So, um, they're they're far too good, and they're here for a reason. They made it to the Eastern Conference Finals last year against Tampa as well. So this is no fluke, and and I think that the players are got too much pride to, to kind of go out like this. Mike, I watch the way the Islanders win, and it is kind of reminiscent of the Blues of a couple of years ago. They they don't really have an MVP type player, and they they roll those four lines at you, and they they work hard every night, and they're relentless. Yeah, they do. That's a good uh, comparison. I, I think that what they do is, in, in, and people I think too often kind of characterize this as a team not being as talented or, um, you know, a, they, they're they a team, and I think the Blues were in, in 2019 when they won as well. They're a team that they're going to rely off you making mistakes and being impatient. And they're going to play a certain game is going to make you uncomfortable and not you're not going to be able to find your game so you're going to try to extend yourself individually and collectively to 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 find some offense in the game and that's that's where they want you and that's where they're going to strike and the islanders uh for the most part sit there and they they say hey we'll be we're, we're going to be more patient than you we're going to play this style we're going to get timely goals but at the same time you're not going to and as soon as you try to do something different or out of character that you and, and kind of lose that patience. That's where we're going to strike. And um, I, I just think last game, let alone Tampa putting up eight goals in that game, uh, they, they were just Tampa played them, played that patient game and they took it back to the New York Islanders. And I think that that's the only way you're going to beat them. A couple more things for Mike Rupp. And we sit here in St. Louis and watch our former champions, Petro in Vegas, Edmondson in Montreal, Pat Maroon, who moved to Tampa last year. We watch those guys and say, okay, they're, they've got the championship pedigree. As a former player, I'm sure you played on teams that made trades at the deadline for people that have won a Stanley Cup. How much value is there in having those guys that have been through it before? It's huge. It's huge. Um, I think that when you have guys that have been in there before, whether – I think a lot of times we think that it's going to be this this uh, kind of Disney movie moment where someone's going to stand up in the locker room and, and say something, and those things don't happen. I think it's just a way of watching how guys carry themselves. Um, guys who've been there before, guys who've come out on the other side and and, and won the Stanley Cup, and uh, you know, there's just there's no panic, and you know that even in these situations, like these series are long series. And you can't, you can't get on that. You can't treat it like uh, you can't get on that roller coaster. You can't ride the ups and the downs. You've got to just keep it even keel and, and just go about your business a certain way. I think that uh, Tampa is a good example of that. And, um, you know, I, I think that having guys coming into certain organizations that have won, um, it, it just, it, it gives you, not only the the real things that you can watch for the leading by example, but it also makes you feel like just a little insurance policy for yourself as well. And that group to know that, well, this is an uncharted territory for all of us. <laughs> and we got there's some guys who've been there and they've, they've been successful and, and you rely upon that, I think. And uh, so I, I think that it's a, you see these, like everybody wants a piece of someone who's won before. So when you see teams go out there and get that, 
that's usually the the pieces that they think is the missing ingredient. Well, speaking of missing ingredients, Mike, I wanted to ask you, of course, about the Blues before we let you go. This this team dealt with so much this season, a lot of injuries. It felt like they could never really find their identity or, or hit their stride for too long. But when you look at the 2021 Blues, what do you think they need to do in order to get back to be a championship contender in 2022? Uh, yeah, you know, I, I like this Blues team. I, I liked coming into this season, thought that they would be um, certainly a contender. Um, it didn't really kind of evolve into that um, as the year went on. And I, I don't think they're far off though. I think that it's a matter of they're, they're at this unique spot here where they're competitive. Um, they're, they're right in the mix, but they also have to, a lot of times we talk about teams that are doing rebuilds and a lot of people don't like to use a lot of GMs don't like to use that phrase. they like to say retooling and, uh, I think a lot of GMs that use the phrase retooling are uh, actually in a rebuild. And uh, that's not the St. Louis Blues. They, they, they're in this kind of retool where they're they're still competitive. They still can make a run, but they still need to kind of infuse some, some youthful players into their lineup, get that fresh legs in there. I mean, it obviously helps as far as the salary cap as well, getting players in there on their entry-level contracts and, that aren't really making the big dollars at, at that point. And, and that's kind of where they're at. And I think that if they just kind of push those buttons and get the right mix in there and the right players that you can move up and down your lineup um, and, and just kind of add that youth, I think that they could be right back there. So it's not uh, big wholesale changes that need to be done in St. Louis. Just a few tweaks. And I, I think it's about getting back to their identity a little bit more. I, I didn't feel like watching that team this year where I thought that St. Louis Blues hockey, I was kind of wondering, you know, are they different this year? What was, you know, what are they going for as far as um, what their MO is? And uh, I think as soon as they get back to that, uh, they got the great coaching staff there, great leaders. Um, I think this team will be just fine. You can follow Stanley Cup champion Mike Rupp on Twitter at Rupper17 and watch him on NHL tonight throughout the Stanley Cup playoffs and Stanley Cup final on NHL Network. Mike Rupp, we always like having you on the show here in St. Louis. Thanks so much for the time. We do appreciate it, and we'll be tuned in. All right, thanks. Anytime. Take care. That is Mike Rupp, NHL Network, and, of course, NHL Network Radio on Sirius XM. He's a frequent contributor on that station as well. Coming up, Danny Mac has his show recorded because he has a Cardinal game today in Detroit. So Michelle and I are going to take you down the stretch of this edition of Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Adam Wainwright pitches on Friday night against the Pirates, and we want you to have the opportunity to see Wayno pitch. Your chance to score a free pair of tickets to the Cards and Pirates on Friday night at Bush. And at both games, 15,000 fans age 16 or older will take home a Yachty Tumbler. Get there early and grab that stainless steel tumbler featuring Yachty or Molina. Get all the details on remaining tickets for the Yachty Tumbler giveaway Friday and Saturday at cardinals.com slash promotions. That Yachty Tumbler looks like a beaut. Yeah, I would like to get one of those. I know that Jim Evans wants 40. I just want one. Yeah, he does want 40. I just want one, too. But anytime I see that, 
it, it looks big. It could carry a lot of liquid. Mm-hmm. And you know that tumbler is going to keep it ice cold. It's going to be great. And yeah. you can get it. And you can watch Wayno pitch on Friday. But we're giving you the opportunity to score a free pair right now. How do you think we should do this, Michelle? Okay. Well, we have been giving a word to win, Randy. And usually it's been something that was mentioned earlier in the show. And we've had a lot of highlights on the show today. But I would say... On, on any Wednesday, Adam Wainwright is always a highlight. Agreed. So maybe we pull something from the, our Wayno conversation. Uh, that's a good idea. A- as we heard Wayno say, he is the commissioner of the Cardinals Fantasy Football League. He he is the grand poobah. He's the main guy. But he does get frustrated at times. Yeah, he does. Uh, he was mentioning that he would be in church in the pew. The preacher is getting ready to give his sermon, his or her sermon, and Adam's phone is going off. Wayno's getting texts from a ton of teammates who have forgotten to set their lineups or they don't have their password, they're locked out, and he's constantly having to help them out to put out some fires. So there are two in particular that he referenced that are just terrible about getting their lineups in or not knowing their password. Give us one of those two, and in honor of Adam Wainwright, text your number 50 to 65780. Texture number 50 to 65780 will win the Cardinal tickets for Friday night to watch Adam Wainwright pitch. One of the two players that particularly has frustrated Commissioner Adam Wainwright over the years. And can we give a hint? We can. One is currently on the team. The other has retired. Outstanding. By the way, the Cardinal lineup today for the noon game in Detroit. Tommy Edmond back at second base and leading off. Dylan Carlson is in center field. Goldie is DHing today, hitting third. Arenado hitting fourth and playing third. Then you've got O'Neill, Molina, Carpenter, DeYoung, and Nutbar hitting <laughs> ninth and playing right field today. So you've got Goldie back in there in, or rather O'Neill back in there in left, and Nutbar has moved from left to right for today's game. Is there a reason we're doing the inflection on Nutbar? Just it sounds fun for me, Nutbar. Okay, that's all. And John Gant is on the mound, so get ready for a lot of walks. And hopefully a win, though. Hopefully we see some yeah, of that. Yeah, a win. Yeah. John Gant magic. Maybe allows a couple of runs in five and a third and walks like six. If the Tigers take both games versus the Cardinals, I'll be bitter. I, I want that panic bus. I want the keys out. I want the thing turned on, and I want tickets distributed. It'll be warming up big. T- it'll be warmed up by the time we get here tomorrow morning. Yeah. A great job as always today by our producer engineer Emily Butcher. Thank you, Emily. Thank you. And Michelle, this was great. By the way, we've got the Carl Gunnarsson press conference, the Zoom conference coming up at eleven here on one hundred and one ESPN. But a great job by you as you do every day. Thank you, Randy. I'll see you tomorrow. And for all of us, we thank you for tuning in, texting in, and being a part of the show. Danny Mack with BK coming up here on one hundred and one ESPN. For all of us, we thank you for tuning in, texting in, and being a part of the show till tomorrow morning at seven. Have a great day, St. Louis. You've been listening to the Character and Smallman podcast. Powered by I Promise. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. The college football playoff committee made their decision on Sunday, and as much as I loathe the idea of Ohio State losing their way into the college football playoff, I 100% agree with OSU making it in over Bama. Nick Saban citing some hypothetical point spreads to prove his point that the tie deserve a spot in the college football playoffs holds little substance when you consider Bama's best win is over Texas. No, the committee got it right. TCU had a great season with far more ranked wins than Bama and didn't deserve to lose their spot after playing a surging Kansas State in a championship game. And Ohio State, while not playing some of their best ball later in the season, was still 12-0 until they came face-to-face with my Wolverines. While the college football playoff system isn't nowhere near as good as it could be, it's better than what we had. And in a few years, it will be better for all of college football. 
Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. Get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there. From football to basketball to soccer and esports, we've got it all at BetOnline.net. And if you love sports podcasts, you can find those at BetOnline as well. And don't forget BetOnline for the NHL, MMA, boxing, and golf. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. BetOnline, where the game starts. It's a well-known fact that good sleep leads to a happier life. Okay, maybe that's not a fact fact, but... Don't you just feel amazing after a great night's sleep? Like the first night back in your own bed after traveling. It's time to demand more first night back kind of sleep. Stop tossing and turning and talk with your doctor about how you can seize the night and day. And visit SeizeTheNightAndDay.com to learn more.